Tech Night Owl Live, the show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week on the Tech Night Owl Live, we'll be featuring Ted Landau. We'll also hear from Jacob Nielsen. He's a usability expert who did a special survey of Windows 8. We'll also hear from Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. All this and more on the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs> Ted Landau, who is a longtime veteran of the Mac universe, joins us again. He writes a column for the Mac Observer, writes periodic pieces for Macworld Magazine. And he had an article just a few weeks ago called Apple's New iPad Set to Crush the Competition. Well, they're here so are they crushing? Well, we won't know for sure until we see the sales figures for the end of the holiday season, but uh, they're off to a good start. Apple had that press release the other week that said that they sold over 3 million iPads in the first three days. Of course, that included the new upgraded iPad 4 as well as the iPad mini. They didn't break out exactly how many iPad minis there was, but still, they made a point of saying that that was greater overall than the opening weekend uh, of the iPad 3 back earlier this year. And I have to think that the the iPad mini is going to be doing well compared to the other 7 to 8 inch uh, tablets that are out there. It's a much more crowded market now than was a year or two ago. There was a period of time when I think when Apple so dominated the tablet market that the iPad was threatening to become like the iPod, the default leader and, and pretty much the default market leaders for ad infinitum almost, where there won't be any competition. That doesn't seem to be the case for tablets at this point. I think there are a lot of other tablets and they will continue to do well and Android's market share creeps up continually as well but I think with the iPad mini which was a wise decision on their part to come out with I think they're much better positioned to compete with the smaller tablets which I think is where a lot of the current popularity in the tablet market is I'm confident that when we see the quarterly financial report for the for this holiday season quarter that it will show gangbuster sales for the iPads one thing I've noticed and I've gone to the stores that occasionally play with those Android tablets and the thing is here, although it's better now than it used to be, responsiveness is not as fluid, never is as fluid as it is on an iPad or an iPhone. It's always like you tap something and then it jumps to do it. It's very jumpy. It's not smooth and fluid. And maybe to people who get used to that rhythm, it's fine. But I yeah. found it to be off-putting. I know what you're talking about. I've seen it, too, maybe not as consistently. On the other hand, I also noticed that some of the HD 7-inch uh, 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 tablets do look significantly nicer than the iPad mini without the retina display screen, especially when I'm looking at uh, movies and things like that. So there's an upside and a downside to some of that. But I, my feeling is I believe there's a huge contingent of users that aren't going to be as, as critical as we are. We are people who, number one, are very familiar with Apple products because we've been using them for years. Uh, we are people that are more familiar with the nuances of what's good and what's bad, perhaps, than the average person because we pay attention to that because we're talking about it and writing about it and so on. And so I think a lot of those issues will come into play for us where they might not for someone who just says, you know, I think it's time I got one of those tablet things. What, what can $200 get me? What can $300 get me? Let's go to Best Buy and see what they have. And they're not necessarily committed uh, a priori to getting an Apple device. And they'll go in there and some of those other tablets tablets look pretty good and I'm sure they will sell. 
I think iTunes remains a big advantage for Apple. I think there are a lot of people that have locked themselves in to iTunes in various ways through iPods and iPhones and iPod Touches. I think people will want to stay with that ecosystem as they move to the tablet, and I think that will drive a lot of sales. So that And the App Store that Apple has is beyond anybody else's ability to match at this point. So I think those are strong selling points for Apple. Now, if you hear any noise in the background, ladies and gentlemen, the sound of dogs, well, the neighborhood dogs are having a severe debate. I guess about Mac versus PC, not sure. iOS versus Android, can't tell you, but that's the way it goes, and we'll have to see how that works out. Isn't that the big driving point, though, with Apple and Microsoft and Google, is to get you into their ecosystem? Once you buy the Apple product, you get used to what Apple does, or by the same token, you buy an Android tablet or smartphone, you're used to what they have, you're used to the app system. It's a difficult stretch to move to someplace else. Sure. I think that's true not only in the computer tablet, mobile device field, but in, in any field. They want to get you locked in. That's how companies maintain customers in their product line, by getting you to start, buy one and like it, hopefully, and then you want to stay with it. And this is the hope here, and this is what obviously Apple was doing. Now, were you mm-hmm. surprised at all that Apple did come out with an iPad mini after Steve Jobs kind of disparaged the segment? Absolutely not. No. I, In fact, I had written a column last January, I think, almost a year ago now, in which I said that's exactly what Apple should do and is going to do. And, and my logic at the time was this was shortly after devices like the Kindle Fire had come out the previous holiday season and were doing quite well. And I said, why should Apple leave that money on the table? Was my It's not a question of whether Apple has to do it, whether it's success, uh, survival depends on it, or any of that more doomsday sort of talk. It was simply a case of these devices are selling very well. Companies are making a lot of money. Why should Apple let those companies make money when it can get at least a significant portion of it by competing more directly? It's like when Apple came out with the iPod Mini as an alternative to the iPod Classic uh, because all these other companies at the time were coming out with flash-based devices that Apple didn't have. And why let those other companies have that market to themselves was my feeling. And I saw, so I said that I expected before the year was over there would be an iPad Mini, and indeed there was. Now, looking at the iPad Mini, some of the criticisms have been about the price, 329 instead of $200. Should Apple have sacrificed more margins for this or what? That's a more difficult question. It depends upon what Apple's short-term goals are. If they wanted to sell the most and crush the competition the most, regardless of how much money they made on per device, perhaps even taking a small loss if necessary, then sure, discounting the price would have been the best thing to do. Uh, If the price was $200, there's no doubt probably anybody's mind that they'd be selling a lot more than whatever amount they're selling now. On the other hand, that's never been Apple's strategy. They uh, are, have always leaned towards the higher end of the market. There's also a limit to how much they can make. Uh, I don't mean money, but how many units they can make. Uh, if they are, and I don't know exactly where their situation is now, but if they are selling their stock out, that is, if the demand is exceeding the supply, then for the moment, the price is just fine. Because if the price was cheaper and people wanted them more, they wouldn't be able to sell anymore anyway. So at least until supply and demand catch up with each other and maybe supply exceeds demand, they have some sitting on inventory, I think Apple is fine keeping it at the price it's at. I understand. Now, the other issue, of course, is that some people say that Apple should have put a retina display into that model. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that would have been great, and I think eventually we will see one. It's a real negative for me. It's one reason I don't have an iPad Mini right now. Uh, I don't really need one, and I might be tempted to get one anyway, but the iPad Mini's lack of retina display was enough to say, no, I'll wait. 
the way I understand it, it wasn't simply that Apple decided, ah, the heck with a retina display. It was an issue of having the iPad apps run unadjusted uh, and in full screen right out of the box, that there were only certain resolutions. You, people who listen is probably familiar with the fact that when the, when the iPad uh, came out, um, that, that you had to write, when you wrote apps specific for the iPad, they had to be coded differently than apps specific for the iPhone because, you were, because the apps were geared to the known screen dimensions and resolution of those specific devices. Uh, as I understand it, if Apple had come out with a retina display, the one uh, given the ones that were currently available, that the resolution of the display and the size of the screen combination would have required that apps be specifically written for the iPad Mini uh, to to look appropriate and be full screen. So now developers would have to have three different types of apps for each app that they wanted to be quote unquote universal. Now Apple is already forcing them to do something because of the new iPhone. So right. why right. give them that kind of aggravation? Yeah. That kind of makes sense. Because you think right. of all the sizes and resolutions of the various Android phones, and it's got to be pretty difficult for programmers over there, you know, just to be blunt about it. We have Ted Landau, and we're reviewing how the iPad mini is faring in the market. He's got a lot more to tell you. Later on in the show, we'll be hearing from usability guru Jacob Nielsen, who assembled 12 experienced PC users to have at Windows 8. And you won't be surprised by their conclusions. You're listening to Gene Steinberg. You're on the Tech Night Out Live. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com radio. DreamHost.com radio. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. Hi, this is Peter Kronstrommel from Midas Resources. As you know, federal government spending is at an all-time high, and inflation will be a direct result of the spending policy. European government and central bank spending policies have put the European Union on the brink of collapse. What are you doing right now to protect yourself financially? Are your assets working for you or against you? One thing is certain. Having physical possession of gold and silver will guarantee that no matter what happens to our economy or the dollar, your investment will never be worthless. It will protect you from that hidden tax, inflation. If you've been thinking about investing in physical possession of precious metals or having an IRA in precious metals, I can help. Call me today, Peter Crunch, on 1-800-686-2237, extension 108. And I'll take the time to personally put together a portfolio designed to protect what you've worked so hard for. Call 800-686-2237, extension 108. You've worked hard your whole life, and I want to work hard for you. Call Peter at 800-686-2237, extension 108. 
American gardeners and fellow patriots make the right choice with your money, time, and your family food supply. Choose 100% pure heirloom seeds in the Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com. Why spend more? The Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com is only $37.95 and includes 20 varieties of pure, hardy, easy-to-grow heirloom seeds. Yes, only $37.95. That's 70% less than our competitors. You could buy three Survival Seed Vaults for less than one of theirs. The Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com includes detailed planting and seed-saving instructions and ships same day. Plus, all orders over $49 ship free. MyPatriotSupply.com is American-owned by patriots like you, passionate about freedom and preparedness. Call now, 866-229-0927. That's 866-229-0927. Or discover more emergency preparedness items when you order at MyPatriotSupply.com. Choose the original. Choose the Survival Seed Vault at MyPatriotSupply.com. Here it comes, another cold and flu season. Get ready for it and save now during the pre-winter sale at HerbalHealer.com. Don't be without powerful natural flu fighters like elderberry power capsules. They support the immune system and they have antiviral properties. Another powerful antiviral is olive leaf capsules, highly recommended by Herbal Healer Academy. Also on sale is Physician Strength Oregacillin, a savior for the lungs. It fights bacteria, virus, and fungus. Our famous Four herb capsules are a gentle liver cleanser and can be taken daily. Also featured this winter are the homeopathic detoxes, liver, kidney, lung, lymph, whole body, and brain detox on sale. And remember, as always, new customers get a free 128-page catalog with your order. Log on and hit the pre-winter specials at HerbalHealer.com. Healing the world with nature, one person at a time, since 1988. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow night owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com. We have Ted Landau joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. I'm Gene Steinberg, and we're focusing on decisions made by Apple for the iPad Mini, such as having the same resolution as the iPad 2, which means developers don't have to play around with yet another screen resolution. Maybe they'll do that next year. Just give them so much pain. And that's the big difference between the Android platform is they don't care. They don't. Who doesn't care? Well, of course, the way they design those products you have all sorts of screen sizes all sorts of screen resolutions it shows me that they can't care near as much as apple about such matters there's some saving grace when google comes out with their own device but yes i think the situation with google is not unlike the situation with microsoft's uh, windows operating system years ago in that at the time microsoft didn't sell any hardware they just sold the software you could configure the hardware any way you wanted, and it led to all sorts of situations where you might have an audio driver that didn't in one computer that was totally different than that in another computer, and you needed different types of software to get it to run, and so on. And 
And so the integration between the hardware and the software wasn't there. Again, and Windows couldn't necessarily put hooks into the Windows system that would assume a specific hardware set because they wouldn't know what kind of hardware Windows was going to run in. Whereas with Apple's devices, talking about the Mac now for a second, when Apple comes out with a new version of OS X, they know every Mac that it's going to run on. And they can say, you know, if it's running on a 2010 MacBook Air, it'll be this way, and a 2012 MacBook Air, it'll be that way, and because they know what they're dealing with. And it allows for a tighter integration uh, between, the, between the software and the hardware that allows, I think, in general, for a better customer experience. And that's one, one of the advantages that Apple has had, and that's one of the problems with, with Google's Android system. And, you know, it's one of those complaints they make against Apple. They say, well, Apple forces developers to restrict themselves to this very controlled environment, but you also need predictability. Yeah, you know, I was thinking just this morning, coincidentally, about how years ago, speaking of Windows and Apple, that years ago when 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 the Mac first came out and corporations were looking at the Mac as a possibility and by and large settling on IBM PC at the time and other PCs later. One of the knocks against Apple at the time was well, Apple is just one company. They're the only company that makes the Apple hardware, the only company that makes the software. You know, if we invest millions of dollars in these computers and Apple goes out of business, we have an orphan system that we can't do anymore and then all those millions of dollars go down the tube. At least with Microsoft if we get IBMs or Dells or whatever, we can be fairly confident that that the hardware is going to be still usable no matter what happens. And yeah, I think that was true. And I think that was one of the things that played into Microsoft's success. But it's interesting that that is no longer considered a relevant issue. You don't hear anybody say, you don't hear the gov- government agencies, uh, such as the Immigration Service, which I think just dumped their Blackberries in favor of iPhones. You don't hear them saying, well, we're not going to buy iPhones because Apple is the only company that makes iPhones. Uh, that's, that's a dead issue now. Well, there's also a story that came out this week saying that sales of Mac hardware to U.S. businesses grew by 49.4% year-over-year in the September quarter. Now, that being the case, this is from Needham & Company, Mm -hmm. that being the case, it would mean that pretty much all of the very slight sales increase of Macs in that quarter was due to business sales. Mm, well, I don't know. That may be. Certainly the fact that Apple is now like the biggest company on earth has done a lot to quell concerns that Apple might go out of business anytime soon. Well, I don't think a company like Apple is going to go out of business anytime soon unless everything falls apart. Now, what do you think, though, about the sharp, at least for a while, that sharp drop in Apple's stock price? Do you think just people were fear-mongering that price down? I don't know what was going on. I, I don't work on Wall Street, and I don't have an answer to all that might have been behind it. My general assumption was it was just a convergence of things. There was all the, the bad things that were happening in a very short period of time to Apple. The brouhaha over the Maps app not going well, the um, uh, shakeup with uh, Scott Forrestal uh, leaving the, the iPad Mini apparently not selling as well as as at least certain investors and analysts would have liked. Well, I think it was the main iPad that didn't sell as well. They supposedly in the September quarter sales were one or two million units less than they anticipated. That's Maybe well, that was because of expectation of the iPad Mini. 
Yeah, I was going to get to that next. The, the quarterly financial report wasn't what Wall Street was hoping for, even though it was quite good. I mean, revenues and profits were near record levels, because, but because it wasn't as big a record as, as they were hoping for, it was taken as a negative. And so I think all those things just led people to say, uh-oh, you know, maybe this isn't the time to invest in Apple. Plus, the whole stock market was going down. I mean, granted, Apple was going down faster at the time, but, but it wasn't like Apple was going in the opposite direction from the market as a whole. The market was having a bad time, I think, with the election news and then with this fiscal cliff situation and then the the situation in Europe with the economies that are near bankruptcy. I think it just, uh, just a, you know, every direction you looked, it, was, it said Apple stock go down. And I think then there was, there was also, of course, some odd psychology. That's the part that I don't know about but what goes on in the, in the minds of people who work on Wall Street that said, you know, let's dump this for now. And I think it's reached bottom. It looks like it's headed back up again. Now, at the same time, there are more and more stories about the fact that Windows 8 is not a barn burner for Microsoft. It's not doing as well. A lot of criticisms. In fact, a little bit later on, we'll have a usability expert tell us why when he had 12 PC users, expert PC users, go through Windows 8, it came out to be pretty much a disaster. Yes, and once again, I have to give a caveat, and that is that I have not even touched a, a Windows 8 computer or a Surface tablet or any of that stuff. All, everything I know about it at this point is simply from reading about it. And all I can say is, from reading about it, I have to agree with you. Every Virtually every review I've read, and I've read at least a half a dozen of, of the Surface and, and Windows 8 related software, it has been negative, really negative. I mean, not just, you know, this isn't as great as we would have hoped, but like, don't bother getting this yet. It's not ready to go. And there's a comment from one of the Windows fanboys who has his own site for Windows lovers, and he was saying his sources within Microsoft said sales are way under expectations. Mm-hmm. And that's from somebody who wants to boost the Windows platform. Yeah, I think it's really bad news for Microsoft, and, and if, if this doesn't turn around soon, I think that you know they, they this was their all in on how to turn things around for them the, to get a foothold in a, in the mobility market where they were clearly not a, a major presence with, with all the action going to Google and to Apple, uh, and turn things around for their PC sales as well. And uh, if it doesn't work, I don't think they have any more you know cards left in their deck to pull out. I guess they expect people just to wait for Windows 9 or just stick with Windows 7, but that's not very good if you want to push the sales of new PCs. And then that's the other thing, too. Some people blame, well, the PC ideas are not very compelling to emphasize or take advantage of the touch interface. But you have to look at some of these crazy things here. You've got PCs with swivel screens and mm-hmm. upside-down screens and pull-out screens and pop-out screens. It's all nonsense. It's all ridiculous. It makes no sense. Yeah, I'm sure there haven't been a lot of usability studies on those devices. People come out with devices and then find that the customers don't really need or want that. And I think a lot of the things that you're describing there will fall into that category. Some of them maybe not. Maybe we'll be surprised, but uh, I, I don't think so. We have Ted Landau joining Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. 
Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. What looks good under your Christmas tree and tastes even better? Big Berkey water filters. Yes, the gift of clean water. A gift that provides a great foundation for achieving good health in the lives of your loved ones. A Big Berkey water filter gives them protection from bacteria, heavy metals, chlorine, fluoride, pesticides and herbicides, VOCs and more. And best of all, a Big Berkey water filter is a gift that lasts for many years with no additional investment. And that saves time and money in filter replacements that other water filters require and are even powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water. As always, all orders over $50 are shipped free, and GCN listeners get 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Order online at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com, spelled Big, B-E-R-K-E-Y, WaterFilters.com, or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-B-E-R-K-E-Y. Gift well this Christmas. Give a Big Berkey water filter. That's the sound of your door being kicked in by an intruder with a single kick. That's the sound of the same door now protected by the Door Sentinel at MySafeDoor.com. Go to MySafeDoor.com right now and watch the amazing video. At MySafeDoor.com, you'll learn how to turn your home into a fortress with the Door Sentinel. 16 kicks later, and the Door Sentinel is still holding strong. MySafeDoor.com. That's MySafeDoor.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Fight back this cold and flu season with the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. Why Ali C? Because it helps your body fight viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Ali C has been scientifically proven in double-blind studies using low doses to greatly reduce the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin, the active ingredient in crushed garlic. Studies show Ali C is effective against MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. One tablet of Ali C has the equivalent of 40 cloves of garlic. Ali C supports your body's resistance to all types of conditions and can help lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So boost your body's resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 1-877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com for your Ali C today. 
Live with Gene Steinberg. It's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next. With Ted Landau joining Gene Steinberg on the Tech Night Out Live, we were focusing first on the iPad and the iPad Mini and sales prospects, and also on the problems that appear to be happening with Windows 8, although Ted admits he has not tried Windows 8. But I have tried it, and what I see, which bothers me, is that not only is it schizophrenic, because you have the two environments, the desktop environment and the tiled or modern UI environment, you also have unpredictability. You also have things that are not obvious. Like you look at a tile, and there's nothing about the tile. It's just a rectangular or a square thing. You don't know whether you could tap it to do something or whether it just shows information. And if you tap it, where do you tap it? Is there a hot spot or is it the entire thing? And this is one of the big criticisms made about usability. Mm-hmm. Now, you have an article that's come out this week in Mac Observer about the cliche glass half fill, half empty. What's that about? It's an article in which I tried to get gather together all some of what we've just been talking about, all of the uh, critical, bad, negative news about Apple that has been coming out recently, and then on the other side, all of the positive, exciting news that have been coming out about Macs recently, and detailing them so that somebody who might not be familiar with everything that that's people have been saying for the past few weeks could see what it is, and then try to draw some to conclusions as to what it all means and where we're going. And that's basically what the column's about. So what is your conclusion? Where is it going? I think Apple is in good shape. Not surprised him. A bit biased, and I admit it. But I think the negative stuff is less serious than it might seem and will pass in time. Like the, this Maps thing, I, I firmly believe that this Maps thing a year from now won't be an issue at all, uh, for example. And the fact that there were some firings at Apple won't mean much going forward either. I think these were all temporary bumps in the road that we will pass over. And I believe that a year from now, uh, Apple will be in at least as good shape as it is now and probably better. We have to think here that with Microsoft, you consider, for example, that their Windows head leaves the company, what, three weeks after Windows 8 comes out. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, we needed a change or we wanted to get out of the rat race. Oh, wait, he didn't get along well with others. The guy has been with the company for 23 years. I think if a person has a personality problem, why does it take 23 years to get the handle on it and figure it out? I don't know. I'm sure you could say the same thing about Scott Forrestal. He, he was around for a long time, and then people were saying they couldn't get along with him either. Uh, people said Steve Jobs helped help keep that together, and with him gone, uh, then Scott's personality became more of an issue. But uh, that's who knows. That's just what I read. I'm obviously not inside Apple. On the other hand, with Sanofsky, you wonder, you now have questions about whether Windows 8 is going to be successful or whether it's going to be one big nightmare. And then you see the guy who's the head of the division, instead of being given a raise or congratulations, he's gone. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Windows 8 is going to be a big success. I'll be surprised if it is. Yeah, that's kind of dangerous. Let's look over at Apple's prospects. Now, there are rumors now, maybe you've heard them, there are rumors coming out now suggesting that Apple has already begun preliminary in-house testing of OS 10.9. Yes, I read that, though I I haven't seen anything that actually said what was in 10.9. I think someone came up. This is a problem with journalism in general, tech journalism. This is something you might want to comment about. One site said, well, you know what? Our sources, or we believe, 
Apple is going to include Siri and Maps in 10.9, which may be logical from a logical standpoint. Well, I suppose that's possible. But one rumor site presents this information with no real proven sourcing, and everybody quotes them. Mm-hmm. It suddenly becomes a fact. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's you're right. That's the way journalism is now. But at least tech journalism, <laughs> and maybe maybe journalism in general. But I, I, you know, I don't. I wouldn't argue too much against that report in this in this sense. I have long contended since Lion came out, and certainly since Mountain Lion came out, that Apple is moving towards a convergence of the operating systems. If not an actual convergence, you know, a true convergence would mean that one that. Macs would run iOS. I don't think that's about to happen. But if you looked at Mountain Line, for example, and if you go to Apple's website and look at what's new in Mountain Line and, and, and see the things that they choose to highlight as opposed to every one of the 200-plus features that they say is new, almost everything that they choose to highlight is something that makes the Mac either more compatible with iOS devices or more like an iOS device. And so clearly the emphasis in Mountain Lion is compatibility and similarity to iOS, which makes sense because iOS devices are their bread and butter right now. That's where all their money is. And so uh, take advantage of that. It can only help Mac sales. If if you develop a computer that works better with an iPhone than any other computer you can buy, and you're happily using an iPhone with a PC now, the next time you buy a new computer, you might be saying, well, why don't I get one of those Macs that work better with my iPhone? Uh, Well, the thing is also here, you can't make them alike. You can have apps with the same names and similar interfaces, but you still interact with them differently. You can't turn that screen like they're trying to do on Windows into a touch screen. That still doesn't make very much sense. Well, that's what I meant by saying that uh, that Macs aren't going to be running iOS, at least not this year. But I, 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 but you do have something like the the perfect example is like Notes, where now, for the first time in Mountain Lion, Notes on the Mac look exactly like Notes on iOS. They sync together through iCloud, so anytime you make a change to Notes on on the on an iPhone or an iPad, it instantly shows up on your Mac. And the notes app, and so on, and so there's a, and they, and they look and feel identical. I mean, granted, one works with a trackpad or a mouse, and the other works with your finger. But aside from that, they look almost identical. And so, anyone who uses an iPhone and uses Notes on an iPhone will almost instantly understand and feel familiar with using Notes on a Mac. And that's the sort of thing that I am talking about. And I believe that that's the sort of thing that Apple will be pushing with 10.9 as well. You'll see more and more ways of integrating uh, the look and feel and technology of iOS and Macs. What about the reverse of the game, integrating features, more features from the Mac to iOS? So it doesn't make sense on a smartphone. But on an iPad where you are expected or they expect you to do some productivity work, why not be able to handle two apps on the same screen or two document windows? I mean, let's look at this, the 9.7-inch iPad. Compare that screen to the original Mac. Mm-hmm. Well, I, in fact, I had a column about that. I mean, you may be, <laughs> your comment may be referencing that. I had a whole column that started out talking about, without naming it, that Apple has a device with a nine-inch screen that that supports uh, multi-app uh, applications, and you can do this and you can do that. And then when I was done talking about it for two paragraphs, I basically said, "Surprise! The device I'm talking about." Yes, it's an Apple product, but you can't get it anymore. It's the Macintosh Plus from 1986, uh, which has all those capabilities, but 
you can't do any of those things on an iPad in 2012. Why is that? Uh, and uh, and I'm, I'm still not sure why, actually. I think you ought to. I mean, it would be great, for instance, if you could uh, have two apps on the screen at the same time and say, for instance, just drag with your finger uh, a, a JPEG image on one from one app to another app uh, so that you can do it that way instead of having to go through all this awkward copy-paste stuff that, that, and, and quitting one app and launching the other app that's currently involved in the iPhone. There are problems. I mean, there are a lot of problems. I mean, one of the problems that will have to be solved if that is, is gets back to an issue we talked about before, which is displaying something on the screen. Currently, iPad apps assume that they will have the entire screen to themselves, and they're designed to work that way. There is no option like there is on the Mac to sort of use your your finger to make a smaller version of, of, of an iPad app so that a second app could fit on the same screen. So that, that will be a major change to how things work uh, that will be necessary if, if multi-apps are going to work. Uh, well, I assume I, it's something they could add to a future version of the iOS, and then certain developers, those who have the applicable apps, the ones where you might want to use them side by side, can make certain adjustments. The other thing, of course, is resources. You have a limited amount of CPU horsepower, battery life, memory, things like that kind of conspire to limit how much you can do and still keep the fast and fluid nature of the OS. But as the iPad gets faster and faster, there's a point at which they can say, well, it's powerful enough now, let's develop the side-by-side app system. And isn't that something that Android has already? I'm going to ask you more about that in a moment. Ted Landau joining Gene on the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack, attack of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Iodine protection packs from HempUSA.org are now in stock for immediate delivery worldwide. Our iodine protection packs include micro plant powder, green life kelp, red palm oil, and our clear roll-on iodine that will feed the body the iodine it needs. All iodine protection packs are in stock, save you money, and ship for free in all 50 states. Visit HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, 
lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with micro plant powder. Visit us at hempusa.org or call 908-691-2608 today. That's the sound of your door being kicked in by an intruder with a single kick. That's the sound of the same door now protected by the Door Sentinel at MySafeDoor.com. Go to MySafeDoor.com right now and watch the amazing video. At MySafeDoor.com, you'll learn how to turn your home into a fortress with the Door Sentinel. 16 kicks later, and the Door Sentinel is still holding strong. MySafeDoor.com. That's MySafeDoor.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie Guy. There's no reason why you shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there. And I'm going to give you a free copy of my lecture that tells you exactly how to do it. In fact, after you've lived a long and healthy life, there should be only two documents in your medical chart, a birth certificate and a death certificate. I'm Dr. Wallach with a warning. If you have a four-inch medical chart, if you take prescription drugs for high cholesterol, high blood pressure, arthritis, joint pains, and other health issues, the medical profession is failing you. They're using you for an ATM machine. My free lecture is going to reveal what pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know. There's been groundbreaking research and discovery on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally. It's all in my free lecture called Deadly Recipe. So call toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. Again, that's toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. 1-855-79-YOUNG. Do you know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg. One more segment with Ted Landau joining Gene Steinberg on the Tech Night Owl Live. I asked him a question about Android. Doesn't Android have a way of running multiple apps together? Yes, it does. Uh, I'm not sure it's supported in general. There are a couple of tablets that, that support it, and I don't have the names of them in front of me now. I think one of the Galaxy tabs, uh, I believe, support it. And it's, it hasn't gotten great reviews, the reviews I read. People talk about how well it only works with very few apps. Uh, it doesn't necessarily work smoothly. Uh, again, the problems we're talking about, where it seems to uh, tax the processors to the point where it's not working well, there are bugs in it, and so on. So uh, you can't really point to it yet and say, yes, that's what exactly what Apple should do, because if Apple did exactly that, they'd, they'd have the same crappy experience that people are describing on, on the Android devices. But I also agree with you that it's going to get better over time, and Apple could be uh, the one to do it uh, in the right way so that, so that it actually works. Well, that's the thing about features added to Macs and iOS devices and the operating system. Apple doesn't add a feature because somebody else has it. They add a feature when they think they can make it work properly and if it makes sense. Yeah, that's so much a part of it here. Yeah, Apple's kind of schizophrenic isn't the right word, but Apple will do things at both ends of the spectrum. On the one hand, they will do something before anybody else does it. 
and not care that everyone else is saying it's too early. You know, like, like getting rid of floppy disk drives in favor of CD drives, and now apparently getting rid of optical drives in favor of having no optical media at all, or coming up with uh, uh, the Thunderbolt connector when, when most people were dealing with USB 3. And sometimes it works well, not always, but, but Apple is willing to go in that direction. And other times they will be the last person to do something because they'll, they'll be saying, no, it's not, it's not fully cooked yet. You know, this is not something that we want Apple to do because is, the technology isn't there to make it good enough for our users to, to say this is uh, acceptable. And so they'll drag their feet and wait until, it get, until the hardware catches up with whatever it is uh, people are trying to do. Some people say that Siri was released prematurely because of all the problems you have. Some people say Maps was also premature, but it does look like Maps at least has gotten somewhat better. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, Apple had to do something with Maps. Uh, I think it it couldn't allow Google to continue to control the main, one of the most important apps on iOS devices that there is. And Maps is probably just about the most commonly used device other than phones uh, and, and maybe Safari that people use on iOS devices. Uh, and, to, you know, on, on Android devices, the Google version of, of Maps was able to do turn-by-turn directions, but not on the iPhone. And when Apple said, we want that on the iPhone 2, Google essentially said tough. And, you know, that's that wasn't acceptable to Apple, and, and I understand that. So they pushed to have their own version of Maps and probably uh, got it out before it was ready to go. Uh, I think that's pretty clear now. It's not probably. Uh, and so it's just going to get better, and I, I think, as I said, a year from now, we probably won't even be talking about that. As for Siri, I, is, I think it's still considered beta software. Have they officially said that Siri is no longer beta software? No, I it is beta software. I know some people have sued Apple saying, Siri doesn't work for me. It works for Samuel L. Jackson right. or Zooey Deschanel or Martin Scorsese. It doesn't work for me. Well, here's the point. That's beta. Now, maybe if they put a beta label next to Maps saying, this is a beta, this is mm. something we're developing, we know there may be bugs, we want you to help us build the next version of Maps to make it more efficient. If they did that from the get-go, and there may have been egos involved over at Apple. If they did that from the get-go, maybe we wouldn't have the bad publicity. Yeah, maybe. It would, certainly would have been better, given that you were going to come out with the app at all. But Maps isn't something that lends itself to being beta as well as, say, Siri, because you can just ignore Siri. I mean, my wife has an iPhone with Siri. I, I think she's used it maybe once since, since she started using the iPhone. But Maps, you're going to use all the time, and you expect it to get you where you're going. If you say, how do I get from here to there, you don't expect it to take you someplace else entirely. And so uh, saying that, that uh, apologizing for its error by saying it's beta software isn't going to make you feel any better if you wind up in the ocean instead of uh, your aunt's house. Well, it's better. I mean, at one point, if you tried to find Columbia, South Carolina, mm-hmm. the capital of South Carolina as Columbia SC, it would take you to South America. It doesn't anymore. Yeah, well, there you go. It's getting better. So you don't have to go to South America. You can really go to Columbia, South Carolina. Also, Mm -hmm. the Statue of Liberty is no longer melting. Ah, good, good. But on the other hand, I had to take me to a restaurant, going to pick up some takeout food at a restaurant. So it gets me to the right place, and instead of saying make a left turn, it says make a U-turn. But I find that's not unusual because Google Maps does the same thing. Google Maps Mm -hmm. screws up, too. Google Maps could be a beta, too, because it's not perfect. Well, it's certainly not perfect, and I've had it to take me to the wrong place a couple of times, too, but apparently it's a lot closer to perfect than Apple's maps are. I say apparently because I live in the Bay Area, where I suppose if there was any place that was going to work correctly, it was going to be the San Francisco, Silicon Valley, Bay Area. 
it's always worked fine for me. Uh, I haven't had virtually any of the problems that people are reporting, but I am confident that, that those problems exist. I'm sure people aren't making them up. No, they do exist. And the thing about it also is it's so easy to produce a graphic effect. You take a screenshot. Hey, look, it got me in the middle of the ocean. Hey, look, it's four miles off. Well, I had Google Maps in trying to go to a local health food store get me two miles short of my destination. Mm-hmm. Apple got it right. So you yeah. see, it's not perfect in either direction. But still, you kind of think here, did it make sense then for Scott Forstall to be on the way out? Did he really fail with maps and Siri? Because that's the responsibilities that are going to Eddie Q, Mr. Fix-It over there. I don't know what happened. You know, if he implied that something was true when it wasn't, you know, if he said, for instance, oh, yeah, maps is perfect. It's, it's, we, we've tested it and it's going to go fine. There's no problems. Run with it. I mean, if he actually said anything in that direction and then it turned out to be totally wrong, yeah, that would be reason to be upset. You know, if he, if he actually said maybe we should wait another six months and somebody else said, no, we can't afford to do that, well, then that's not his problem. So, I mean, a lot depends on exactly what happened. On the other hand, refusing to sign the the apology letter uh, saying that we're sorry for how bad it was uh, isn't going to and enforcing your boss to sign it instead of you, which is apparently what happened, uh, isn't going to endear you to your friends and in the company. And uh, I'm sure that helped get rid of him. And then the, the whole issue again of of him having a management style that people. Not so much, apparently, uh, again, this is all based on things that I've read, so I, I'm repeating rumor here, uh, that, that it wasn't so much the people that worked under him, apparently, that, that complained as much as the people that worked sort of side by side in other, in other areas of the company that had trouble dealing with him. And he did have, apparently, a, uh, a lot of people in, in the company who would not be unhappy to see him go and who were not unhappy to see him go. Well, certainly office politics counts for a lot. And, of course, you have different dynamics here. Tim Cook, you know, doesn't tolerate the stuff that Steve Jobs might have tolerated in the interest of creativity. But that doesn't mean he's not creative. Then we have to look at Jonathan Ive, now in control of human interface for Apple. Does that impact the way OS X and iOS will look? Possibly. I I, I like Jonathan Ive, uh, and I'm a great admirer of all the stuff that he's done at Apple. And so... I actually think in many ways this is a good thing, the, the way the, the, this shakeup turned out, that I think having him at a more oversight level is probably going to lead to better products than what would have happened otherwise. Uh, he isn't as much of a fan uh, as, what is it, the, the skeuomorphic or whatever. The skeuomorphic, the, yes. Yeah, yeah. He isn't as big a fan of having devices, uh, having uh, uh, software look like the physical object that they're imitating. And so we may see less of that going forward. And I could go either way on that. I don't think that's a big deal. You don't care about calendar having the stitched leather look on top? No. Actually, if, if I had my choice, I'd probably say get rid of it. Uh, I think we're we're past that point. You know, the, the whole idea of having it look that way for me is to make you feel comfortable with it. Have you look at it and say, "Oh yeah, I know what this is. And I know how it works because I have what used to have one of those leather things on my desk." Well, it's and, called uh, calendar. How could you not know? Right, but I think yeah, and we all have used these things enough now. We're not. This is not 1987, and we're getting our first computer and trying to deal with it. This is uh, already 2000, almost 2013, and I think people are have long gotten familiar with how these things work, and they don't need a skeuomorphic design in order to tell them what what it is that they're doing. Allegedly, Steve Jobs liked that design, but mm. I agree with you that 
Just simplify it. I think the operating system needs to get out of the way. When you're doing work, you want to concentrate on your apps, not the operating system. See, that's the thing that Microsoft didn't understand because I think Windows 8 is constantly, chronically in your face. If you go to the modern or metro UI, you got all those tiles in your face with images and everything, and everything about it just stares at you. You can't concentrate on the apps because the apps inherit that look. Yeah, and you know, and I did play with betas of of, of um, Windows 8. And speaking of those tiles, that was one of the things that impressed me. It was it was more of an overlay than I realized it was going to be until I started playing with it. That is, the old Windows 7 aspect to Windows was hiding underneath. That's you right. Could just, you could just get rid of the whole tile thing and be back to almost a Windows seven like environment and well, that's a good idea let's get rid of it mm-hmm. ted landau where do we find more of your stuff i'm at the mac observer where you were talking about and also i write a, a bugs and fixes column for MacWorld magazine ted landau thanks for joining us on the tech night out live you're welcome always good to be here America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. You know what happens to your digestive health around the holidays? Right. Unusual schedules and foods you don't normally eat can cause upset stomach and indigestion. But you can prepare your digestive tract with Pro-EM-1 Probiotic Cleanse from Terragonics.com. Pro-EM-1 is all natural and made with certified organic ingredients. It contains no genetically modified ingredients or preservatives and has no animal products, wheat, soy, dairy, or gluten. Pro-EM-1 does not require refrigeration, so you can take it with you over the river and through the woods to Grandma's house. Pro-EM-1 supports a healthy, regular digestive system, supports weight loss, and improves absorption of food nutrients. Improve your digestion and keep off those extra pounds with Pro-EM-1 Probiotic Cleanse. Call or click Terragonics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com. Toll-free, 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Terraganics, life's getting better. Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We welcome on the Tech Night Owl Live this week, Jacob Nielsen. He is a usability expert who is very well acclaimed in the industry And he was responsible for an interesting test that we're going to evaluate in just a moment. 
Jacob, welcome to the show. Tell our listeners about your background, how you got involved in this sort of thing. Oh, thank you, Gene. Uh, really, I've been doing usability work for almost 30 years now. So in the beginning, on, on actual mainframes computers, later on on Macintoshes and, and PCs and so forth, and in, in later, later years, uh, websites and uh, uh, iPhones and tablets and all that. So it's really just a range of different technologies. But the same for all of these is I focus on how real people, average users, use these technologies. And the research method is actually very simple. It's called user testing. So we get hold of uh, some some average people, and we set them down in front of the computer or, or give them the, the tablet or the phone, and we basically just ask them to do a variety of different things. And then we observe where it's easy, where it's difficult, where people fail when they're happy. And you know we try to kind of analyze that in terms of, what's good or bad about the design. Now, the people that you select, are they picked at random, people you know, or what? Well, they're not people we know. You're, you're not, you shouldn't really test people you know. You have to test people who come in in a more kind of neutral manner. They are not completely random. They're selected based on what's called a screener. So there are various criteria. So, for example, we recently tested Windows 8, and for that we thought, well, people should know about PCs before we test Windows. So for that, the only criterion was really people who are already experienced PC users. For other things, it could be five years experience of using the web or that they shop at least once a month on the web if we want to test e-commerce sites. So it really depends on what we're testing. Uh, sometimes we also want to test like really new people who have almost no experience to get that kind of novice user impression as well. So the, it's, it's just a really a range, but in any, for any particular research study, there are certain specific criteria, and we get people who meet those criteria. In advance, so our listeners know, right now, before testing Windows 8, you like Windows, you're a Windows user, and you really like Windows 7. So tell us briefly, what is there about Windows 7 that you prefer and would you relate that to, say, Mac OS 10.8, if you've tested it? Well, actually, we haven't tested the, the, the more recent Mac, I have to say that. But I was a Macintosh user for many, many, many years, and I, I do like that system as well. But back in 98, I started my own company called Nielsen Norman Group. And if you remember, Apple at that time was really in the dregs. It was doing very poorly, and they're just about to go out of business. I just didn't think it was prudent to start a company and then build that company on using Macs because who knows what they would be around for a few years later. Now, it turned out they are around, but in, in 98, we couldn't rely on that. So therefore, in 98, I, I changed to using Windows. And you know, I've been pretty happy about that as well. Not so much the like Windows 98, that was actually a bad system, but I think that they've actually they've improved it a lot. Vista was a bit of a problem, I would say, but Windows 7 is, I call it Vista done right. So a lot of the design ideas behind Vista were really good, but they just couldn't build them back then. And for Windows 7, a lot of that has been fixed. And it's a pretty smooth, nice system. It's very suited for, I would call, I would say, kind of power users, which is certainly what I would say I am. I have a you know, big 30-inch monitor. I'm staring at at least 10 different windows at any given time, lots of websites. I do enormous amount of email. So for a person like myself, it's really suitable. It's not necessarily superb for somebody who's more of a home user who doesn't do quite as much on the computer. For that, I would probably still recommend a Mac for that type of person. Yeah, a power user can still use a Mac and do very heavy-duty work, but we understand Absolutely. that. Now, 
So you're going into this, and obviously you would like, if possible, to see a positive result for Windows 8 because you like Windows 7. And you know, it's interesting here. I'm going to quote to you, and you may have seen the article from Consumer Reports, an article on computers, their cover story from the December 2012 issue. And the reason I want to quote this paragraph is because now we're going to listen to what you found out, and it's like Consumer Reports is living on a different planet. (laughs) You ready for this? I don't know if you saw this or not. I, I didn't see it, but I'm ready. Okay, its touch capability is a hit. When we upgraded a touchscreen-enabled Windows 7 computer by installing the final version of Windows 8, we found the touch capability quite intuitive. In the course of performing various tasks, we moved almost effortlessly from touchscreen to keyboard to mouse as needed, although you'll probably use touch much less often than the traditional desktop interface. Okay, so here's the thing. They're looking at Windows 8, and you'd think in reading that paragraph they work for Microsoft because they're validating everything Microsoft did. But it looks like when we read your report, we're seeing something that's from a different planet, a different world. Let's go through each piece, piece by piece, what you found wrong with Windows 8, and then we'll look at what you found right about it. Oh, completely, because there's some good things, too. But mainly the worst thing is probably that it, I don't think it's actually intuitive at all for people who just approach it, uh, because most of the features are hidden. So when you just open it up, there's a very nice, colorful screen, and some of the graphic design aspects are actually very well done. It looks good. Uh, but what can you do there? Well, you can click or touch on different kind of big, big things. That's another thing that's good. But then anything beyond that becomes quite difficult. Um, any of the real real features you need are hidden. You need to know certain gestures to bring them forward. Uh, some of these gestures are quite error-prone. And then I think some of the really worst aspects come if you then turn to more of the, the business user type of use because that's where it really fails completely. It's very much based on a tablet-style interaction, very similar to what you might find on, on an iPad or the, the Galaxy from, from Google. So if, if you're only doing a few simple browsing tasks, then it's actually quite fine for that. But if you're going to do something that involves comparing multiple pieces of information, let's say doing research, or even, let's say, going on vacation, which hotel should you stay at, what's the cheapest airline ticket, those type of things, already there it starts breaking and then if you're going to do complex business tasks like you know, next year's budget or any, any of that type of stuff that business users do a lot, that's when you really need to have multiple windows, ability to easily switch tasks. And for that, they give you a complete terrible fallback option, which is to say, well, don't really use Windows 8, but use something that's kind of like Windows 7, which I said is, is nice enough. But user interface that has two completely different areas to it is really a kludge. It's um, just not pleasant to switch between two environments that are so different. You know, I guess part of the problem here would be getting developers to move their stuff to Windows 8, and you have to think that something even like Microsoft Office 2013... It's almost impossible to do it because you have to kind of throw out everything and start all over again. Let's go into the touch a little bit more. I was reading your description of some of these touch routines, and they're wacky. All I can say is they're wacky. You see, you know, with something like an iPad, I handed my wife an iPad, and I said, play with it. And she had figured out in a half hour most of the stuff, and she's not computer savvy to any degree. She'll play with my email. She could 
enter a short note or something, but she's not a computer expert. That's not her scene. But with the iPad, she took to it real quickly. When you look at Windows 8, and I'm the power user, you're the power user, and I'm trying to make it work on a standard desktop computer. Forget about the touch for a moment. It's really difficult. You've got all these subtle hot spots. If you miss the hot spot or the routine to get to a specific function, it fails. It doesn't work. It doesn't work, and it doesn't really tell you why, which makes it very hard to learn. And most of these gestures are invisible. So if you think about traditional graphical user interfaces, as we really had them since 1984 when the Macintosh first came out, they've all relied on a very simple human factors idea, which is to make it visible to people what they can do and make it make them those objects in the user interface that you can click on. So you can click on icons, you can move sliders, you can resize windows by the little kind of handle in the corner and those type of things. You make the clicking obvious. I have to do the break. You make the clicking and the areas that you do tap or click obvious, intuitive. You know where to go. With Windows 8, hmm, we'll have to see. We have usability guru Jacob Nielsen joining Gene Steinberg on the Tech Night Out Live. neighbors, you've seen all those crazy, wacky products on TV. The perfect tortilla, easy covers, hot booties, furniture fix, petty spin, and more. Where do you find all that stuff? You go to asseenontv.com because this is the one-stop source for all of these TV goods advertised. Find all your favorites as seen on TV. Check them out as seenontv.com. And by the way, save 10%. Here's what you do. Use the code SEEN1, S-E-E-N number one, SEEN1. Go to asseenontv.com to order. Save 10%. Purchase this summer's hottest As Seen on TV items. Save 10%. Or call 1-866-277-3366. 1-866-277-3366. The code Scene one to save 10%. Hey, neighbors, meetings are an essential part of any business. You know, making presentations to clients, collaborating with your colleagues. Well, make them as simple as possible to run and organize. Use GoToMeeting by Citrix, the easiest, most reliable online meeting service. With GoToMeeting, you can schedule an online meeting in seconds. Attendees can join with just a click from anywhere. Meeting materials are viewed on everyone's screen. Making collaboration seamless. GoToMeeting is so easy to use for you and everyone joining your meeting. Plus, with GoToMeeting, hold as many meetings as you can for one flat rate. You have phone conferencing and voice over IP are included. You know, my listeners can try GoToMeeting free for 30 days, a month of unlimited online meetings free. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click on the Try It Free button, and enter the promo code PODCAST. That's GoToMeeting.com, promo code PODCAST. 
big business has discovered the preparedness market, and that makes it difficult to know where to go and who to trust. MyPatriotSupply.com is owned and operated by patriots just like you, has the best prices on storable food, non-GMO seeds, water filtration devices, home canning equipment, survival and self-reliance books, and more. MyPatriotSupply.com has old-fashioned values and the absolute best customer service in the industry. Look for the deal of the day. Unique, affordable survival supplies that fit anyone's budget. Get same-day shipping on all orders and free shipping on orders over $49. Call 866-229-0927. 866-229-0927. Or visit MyPatriotSupply.com for emergency preparedness, self-reliance, and food independence. Shop with a name you know and a name you can trust. Before it's time to survive, it's time to prepare. MyPatriotSupply.com George Washington said, Government is not reason, it is not eloquence, it is force, like fire. It is a dangerous servant and a fearful master. America's government is no longer the servant of the people and the protector of our liberty, but has become that fearful master. We the people must understand the nature of this government gone awry if we are to be successful in saving our country. America is being deliberately destroyed by a cabal of international gangsters so that she can be forced into subjugation to a one-world government. The God-given, unalienable rights of the Declaration of Independence are in jeopardy. We must not let them be stolen by ambitious and evil men. Utopia Silver Supplements believes it is our God-given right to make our own health care decisions however we deem best. If we can help you with your supplement needs and better health, then help us win this health freedom battle. Visit us today at utopiasilver.com. That's U-T-O-P-I-A silver.com. Or call 888-213-4338. Again, 888-213-4338. We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes. We have Jacob Nielsen. He's a usability expert. And he's been in the business for 30 years, evaluating all the operating systems and, of course, web design and everything else. So he got 12 PC users to take a look at Windows 8 and try to figure it out. Now, touch is new for PCs. It's not so new for people who use tablets. But it looks to me like Microsoft had this operating system or this interface for Windows Phone, for the Zune Music Player, and they just dropped it into the desktop operating system as almost they're trying to throw this whole thing at us without really thinking of the consequences. That's what it sounds like. That's exactly what I thought ha- think happened. They are really forcing an inter- interface style that works quite well for tablets, even though there are some mistakes in their tablet implementation. But it's at least suitable for tablets. And then they're forcing that onto the desktop PC user, uh, the office user, who really needs to work in it in a quite a different way. Uh, this touch interface has all these hidden features, hidden areas you've got to touch just right, and gestures that require you to move your fingers in very precise manners. And then if you try to use them with the mouse, which is more the the desktop use, uh, it actually becomes even worse because these are even harder to, to, to get right. What so I see a- is you click on something with a mouse. 
and half the time it doesn't respond. Or you have to basically hit the precise hotspot. The hotspot's too small. So you have to hit the hotspot, but you're not sure where the hotspot is. You have to know where it is. It's like, you know, you want to find the entrance to a cave. Well, it's hidden behind that mountain. If you don't know it's hidden behind that mountain, you never get to the entrance. No. Or you're doing it at night and you're blindfolded. I mean, you have all these barriers to success. You don't get any feedback because if you click the wrong place... It doesn't say what you did wrong. It just doesn't do what you wanted. And that makes it very hard to learn. We see that also in something that I call swipe ambiguity, which means that swiping is a relatively easy gesture on on touch screen. So just moving your finger kind of poof. But when different areas that are just right next to each other react very differently to that swipe action, that becomes swipe ambiguity because you can't really tell where you started swiping because swiping is an invisible action compared to clicking an icon where you have visible, I'm clicking you know, this icon or that icon. I kind of know which one I clicked. If I click one and it doesn't do what I wanted, well, I know I clicked the wrong icon. On the other hand, if you're swiping just a little bit wrong, you don't know why it's not doing what you want. And so people in our user testing feel very disempowered. They feel very confused. They feel like not like they're in control of the computer, which is what we want people to feel. They feel like it's out of control and they don't know how to make it behave, how to make it obey them. Now, one confusing thing that Microsoft introduced was instead of control panels, you have charms. Now, I don't understand the name charms or why charms would be picked as a place to pick your options or selections for an application or for a particular function. But they're not really obviously sensitive to the application you're using. So if you're using one application, you should see, what, different charms. But that doesn't work that way. It doesn't really work right. And in fact, sometimes it even works wrong. Let me back up and say what's what's sort of theoretically good about it is that it provides a consistent manner to access kind of utility functions for your applications. So that's a good idea. Now, it's just done wrong, and therefore it doesn't work. Let's take an example of search. It's actually a very good idea to say that search has now become such a ubiquitous feature in computers, not just Google search, but search everywhere. We want to make it a consistent function. So let's make it a so-called charm. It's on this often a side of the screen. You maybe know how to get it, but it's actually hidden. But let's assume you know how to get it. But what are you searching? How does search work? And even worse, sometimes users try to search and all they get is an error message saying, well, this application does not support search. Actually, several newspaper applications, which is very ironic because if anything should be searchable, it's the vast archives of a newspaper, but they don't do it. They don't support search in their Windows 8 applications. This is one of the worst things you can do in user interface design is kind of teasing users by saying, wow, I have this neat feature for you. And then if they click it or you try to use it, smack, they get punished by, by an error message. That will quickly train people into not using those features. Well, you know, I think about the car. You have a lot of cars where you have a feature that isn't available in the one you bought. It's an option. So you put a dead switch there. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit that, that idea, except it's actually better if there is a dead switch you can recognize as being dead, and you, that's not what they do here. It just looks like the normal icon, but then if you use it, you get told it doesn't work anyway. And that is very contrary to the way an empowering user interface should work, which is that you attract people, you make the features discoverable, you make it easy for people to know what they can do and what they cannot do. It's rather confusing that you don't know what you can do. Another example of that is the use of typography or type to indicate, to signal 
you know, different types of information. So traditionally, this was done by using different graphical representations for things you could click, you know, buttons and so forth, versus things that were like just information, like they say a headline or something like that. In Windows 8, they have tried to do a very, I would say, visually elegant type of typography, but with no treatments of things that are actionable versus things that are purely for your information. And this makes it hard for people to understand what they can do because the things work the same whether they're clickable or not. So you see people like just touching things kind of almost at random, hoping to find out what might work. And that's just not good. You want to have people to really have a clear understanding of what can I do here? How can I change settings? For example, we try to have people test the simple test task we gave people was find the weather forecast for some other city than where you're in right now. And that should be so easy. There's a weather app right there. But the problem is, how do you change the city? What almost all the people did was they would touch the name of the current city. And that makes complete sense because that's... It's not touchable. It's just for your information. It's just like a heading. It's not an action item. It's not where you change. You don't change the city by going into the place where it says the city. You change it someplace else. And now you've got to go on a treasure hunt to find that. Well, one thing, of course, if you're using an operating system for business, you want the operating system to get out of the way. You want to concentrate on the app you're going to run for your business. So here's a situation that you're describing to me is that Windows 8 is always in your face. That's a good point. It's it's almost like it's too pretty. It's too much getting in the way of getting things done. So it's really calling attention to itself. Another way it's doing that is they have a feature called live tiles, which are the little kind of squares or rectangles on the screen, very colorful, very good looking, that are representing the different applications. So instead of icons, they have these tiles. The hypothetical benefit of this is that the tiles can update and give you kind of live information. So let's again go back to the weather forecast. That can change to saying, no, I'm predicting 50-degree weather, 60-degree weather, whatever it might be, and you can just at a glance get this info. But this is being abused by a lot of the designers of these apps to just making all these little tiles incessantly blink and scroll and just be very annoying, actually, and and just in your face, too much. Well, I can think from what you're saying that you have, say, your Twitter app, your Facebook app, this app, that app, and suddenly you've got 10 or 12 different things with updates, and it's freaky because it isn't always obvious which app they belong to. Things aren't always obvious. By the way, we're talking to Jacob Nielsen. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night How Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. 1-877-804-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. 
So, disable the cable and get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV right now to sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and up to four rooms. And there's no equipment to buy. For all women and men who wish their fingernails were harder this Christmas, wishes come true. Introducing Nails of Steel, a new revolutionary nail hardener. Nails of Steel puts muscle into your soft nails with a creamy, rich, natural herbal formula that is antifungal, hypoallergenic, and biodegradable. Just massage a drop of Nails of Steel over your natural or polished nails and go. With Nails of Steel, there's virtually no drying time. Within the first week, you'll notice your nails getting stronger to eliminate breaking, chipping, splitting, hanging. Nails and fungus. Nails of Steel makes a great stocking stuffer for women or men. And right now, get three one-ounce bottles for only $74.95. That's about a $5 price break on each bottle. That'll last you for months. Visit nailsofsteel.com. That's nailsofsteel.com. Nails of Steel. It's like a salon in a bottle. That's the sound of your door being kicked in by an intruder with a single kick. That's the sound of the same door now protected by the Door Sentinel at MySafeDoor.com. Go to MySafeDoor.com right now and watch the amazing video. At MySafeDoor.com, you'll learn how to turn your home into a fortress with the Door Sentinel. 16 kicks later, and the Door Sentinel is still holding strong. MySafeDoor.com. That's MySafeDoor.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. My name is Josh. One World Way is the best in the market, hands down. I'm in the U.S. Navy, and I live a very active lifestyle. Being a vegetarian, it's hard getting all the protein I need. I tried the vegan protein powders, and I just wasn't feeling any change. The Meathead Supplement Store whey protein kind of worked for a bit, but it left me feeling bloated, and my digestion seemed to slow down. By some divine stroke of luck, I heard a commercial of One World Way on the radio, and it struck my interest. I have to tell you, I am so glad I got it. I have been taking it for a week, and the results are amazing. I don't feel tired when I have to get up at 4.30 a.m. I look and feel better. I recover faster from my two workouts a day. When I don't have time to eat good food, I take it, and I don't feel the urge to stuff my face for hours. I got up this morning, and I looked the leanest I've looked since high school. I can go on and on. The best I can do to repay you is buy more and tell my friends. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWHEY.com. What's going to happen next? You never know when you're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. We have more with Jacob Nielsen, usability guru, talking about his evaluation of Windows 8 and what's right and wrong about it. We're focusing I guess more on the errors because there are so many. We'll talk about the good things in a moment. One of the things that bothers me about those tiles is it's always white type, even if the color is kind of dark or mid-colored, so you don't always see the thin lettering. It's true. Legibility can, can be bad. 
Another thing that's bad is that often they don't show you the name of the application, and so you're left trying to, in some sense, almost guess what the tile represents. Sometimes they do a little mini icon, like the Los Angeles Times is represented by an L, um, and if you know that, sure, you, you could possibly recognize it. But the one problem is that we know that People tend to download very large numbers of apps. Maybe not right now, but let's look a year into the future when they have more applications in the um, the Microsoft application store, just like they have at Apple. So we know from testing things like iPads that people have endless apps, screens and screens full of them. And after a while, you stop really knowing what you even have because you have so much. And that's where this ability to recognize it becomes really important. And differentiating between different features becomes important. It's not so important right in the beginning where you only have five or six things, but pretty soon it becomes essential. Well, I think that's the problem I've heard in reviews of Windows Phone. That if you have just a handful of apps or you just want to check email and Twitter and go on the Internet, it's fine. But as soon as you get download a lot of apps, it gets to be rather confusing. No, exactly. And, that, and, and that's, again, the distinction between the early experience and the more long-term experience. And this is why we need better discoverability, better ability to explain and understand what each thing is. And I think some of the people who have, I would say, kind of, criticize my critique or my review, don't necessarily quite understand this because they say, well, but it's, it's easy enough if you have these things to understand what's what. But it's not if you are a less technically savvy user, if you have a lot of things on your tablet, which you know even the least savvy user will download endlessly apps because it's kind of a fun thing to do. And that's the experience we have to assess is how does it work for normal people under normal circumstances, not just right when they get it out of the box, but half a year later. Well, of course, the other thing to look at here is the big thing about Windows is that you can run multiple Windows on an app. As you say, you know, you're working on your Windows 7 computer. You've got 10 windows open. I'm working now on a Mac, and I've got one, two, five windows open, actually six windows open right now as we speak. And when we do another segment of the show, it'll be seven windows open. I can't do this. I can't run this app, even the Windows equivalent of this app, on Windows 8 because I can't run that many windows. What was Microsoft thinking? Yeah, that is almost the worst about this. It's really a single use or single window interface. You know, even though it's called Windows in the plural, it really should be called Microsoft Window in the singular because it only it's a one window system. And I mean, there is actually a way that you can get a second window kind of temporarily, but uh, that's not the main use. And people had great difficulty, by the way, in getting that to work in the, in our study. But it's designed for full screen use. Now, this is great if you're using Windows Phone. You know, if you have a small phone, sure, you can only really see one thing at a time on a small phone. On a tablet, it already becomes, ah, yeah, maybe you want a little more. But for sure, when you have a big PC, you really want more. And that's, again, I think that's the worst mistake Microsoft made was to take the same design that's great for a phone, that's pretty good for a tablet, and then say, well, we're going to put it on a PC as well, and there it's horrible. Well, you know, we also have to wonder here, I thought Microsoft did focus group testing. So they bring people in and they try things out. So I would think that when they were developing Windows 8, wouldn't they bring in people to say, here's what we think? Certainly the thing was available as a public beta for months, and a lot of what you say was repeated maybe less educated, less specific ways by a lot of people over all these months before Windows 8 was coming out, but they just continued. 
They didn't stop and say, wait a minute, maybe we've got a problem? Well, I think a lot of people at Microsoft probably knew. Um, I don't know for a fact, but my guess would be that they, I'm sure they did their own user testing. I'm sure that they at least read or read uh, the feedback that's published on the web. But I believe that the problem here is that they have a kind of fanatic adherence to this principle that you have to have one Windows and run it everywhere. And I can understand from a marketing perspective, this sounds like a good PR message, you know, one Windows everywhere. Yeah, that sounds appealing. The problem is that when you do that, you force some of the users to suffer because you're giving them something that's optimized for a different situation than their, than their situation. And Microsoft has made this mistake before, by the way. So several years ago, they mainly designed for the PC. Windows was really just a PC operating system. But then they introduced this variant called Windows CE for Windows Consumer Edition that was supposed to be their system for small devices. That was a miserable failure, horrible, horrible, because you can't take something that works great on a big computer, big screen, and put it on a small screen in a small computer. That's not going to work. Now, they're just doing the opposite today. They're taking something that's good for a small screen and a small device, and they're sticking it onto our office big computers, you know, PC computers. It's the same mistake, and it's kind of like the opposite version, but it's the same general mistake, theoretically speaking, which taking this making one design for two different platforms that are very different. You cannot do that and expect to get decent usability. You will fail if you do that. Obviously, they're seeing that. Now, I don't know if you want to get into the politics of this, but when we consider the situation involving Steve Sanofsky, the head of the Windows division. Three weeks after Windows 8 comes out, he's gone. And the story is, well, maybe he doesn't get well with others. He's difficult to deal with, but he's been with the company 23 years. So you'd think they would have discovered that before now. The other, maybe he wants change of pace. But I'm seeing when I look at this, well, you know what? Maybe the real problem here is that they saw a train wreck and they realized they got to get rid of this guy. Of course, they should have seen the train wreck a year ago. They should have. And, and I think, again, if the problem is when you stop listening to the data and you start instead only believing in your own propaganda, then you have a problem. And the propaganda is one Windows everywhere. I have this feeling that at Microsoft they have this, this, kind, of this, this kind of false idol that they bow down to every morning and says, oh, sacred Windows. The you God know, of Windows. The God of Windows, yeah. And that is, again, you can understand it from their history and everything, but it just is wrong. They've got to say we can design a great operating system for PCs, we can design a great operating system for tablet and phones, but they are two separate projects. Maybe they just call them all Windows, you know, I don't care what they call them, that is again, that's for the marketing department, but they have to be different designs. Well, here you have the problem of placing these two separate operating systems or interfaces together. So suddenly you click and you find yourself on a Windows sort of desktop kind of a simplified version of the Windows 7 desktop, and then you run your apps there, and then you press the wrong hotspot, and you're back with the tiles again. Yeah, and the rules change, right? So you now have one computer with two set of rules, and that's, again, a usability issue because people have difficulty when you pull the rug from under them and you change the rules. Now, some people who are 
among the more technically savvy, for them it may just be an annoyance. They can figure it out. You know, a lot of people can't certainly figure it out. However, other people who care less about computers and they maybe don't have the same kind of talent for computers, and I want to say that's 90% of the population there, they're going to have more trouble because that's what we call inconsistencies, right? So when, when the rules for how to do something are different, then you have to, like, remember, think about, should I do method A, should I do method B? And that is a big cognitive overhead or, or an imposition on your brain. And that is something that then takes away brain power from what you want to spend your, your, your brain on, which is solving your problem. Now, I look also at the situation involving the Enterprise, and we'll get into this in the final segment with Jacob Nielsen. So you have the Enterprise where they're looking at a solid return on the investment. You want to keep production costs as low as possible. So if you're buying new computers, you don't want to have to sit back and train everybody again. You just want to plug them in there, turn on the apps, and get your stuff done. But suddenly with Windows 8, you've got to retrain. We'll get into more of this in a moment. We have usability expert Jacob Nielsen talking about his study of Windows 8 on the Tech Night Owl Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockaway. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Hey, neighbors, meetings are an essential part of any business. You know, making presentations to clients, collaborating with your colleagues. Well, make them as simple as possible to run and organize. Use GoToMeeting by Citrix, the easiest, most reliable online meeting service. With GoToMeeting, you can schedule an online meeting in seconds. Attendees can join with just a click from anywhere. Meeting materials are viewed on everyone's screen, making collaboration seamless. GoToMeeting is so easy to use for you and everyone joining your meeting. Plus, with GoToMeeting, hold as many meetings as you can for one flat rate. You have phone conferencing and voice over IP are included. You know, my listeners can try GoToMeeting free for 30 days, a month of unlimited online meetings free. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click on the Try It Free button, and enter the promo code PODCAST. That's GoToMeeting.com, promo code PODCAST. 
Lunch is ready! And it's an MRE smorgasbord at longlifefood.com. In 1983, Long Life Food Depot was one of the first to sell MRE pouches to the public, and we're still selling them almost 30 years later. Today, Long Life Food Depot has the world's most complete MRE online buffet, because MREs are all we do. Tasty varieties of chicken, beef, salmon, and pasta entrees, plus sandwiches and our easy-to-use pouches. Full moisture, long shelf life, and ready-to-eat hot or cold. We sell by the pouch or case so the choices are endless, and so are the graduated quantity discounts. The more you buy, the more you save. Call 800-601-2833 or go to longlifefood.com to join our email list for upcoming announcements like the Rollaway Food Pod. Plus, enjoy fast and free shipping. Just call 800-601-2833 or visit longlifefood.com. Emergency preparedness, emergency relief. Longlifefood.com since 1983. Sending real food to your real future. A little over a year ago, I began to do a lot of research into why, even if I had a pretty good-sized meal, that I was still starving. And my research led me to a well-known fact that most of the soils that we grow our crops on here in the United States and across the industrialized world are almost completely depleted of almost all of the key minerals and trace elements that our bodies need to rebuild themselves, fight off cancer, and be healthy. I then searched out the best vitamin and mineral company out there and discovered Longevity. The Longevity products are designed to give you the real nutrition you need, and once you've got that, you don't have to eat as much to be satisfied. I've lost 37 pounds in two months, simply getting the vitamins and minerals I need. Check it out for yourself. It's incredible. Go to InfoWarsTeam.com today and order your first canister of Beyond Tangy Tangerine Complete Multivitamin Mineral Complex Dietary Supplement. That's InfoWarsTeam.com. You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle, live with Gene Steinberg. Jacob Nielsen joining Gene Steinberg on the Tech Night Isle Live. He's a usability expert who commissioned a study of 12 power users or just regular PC users who had their go and had at it Windows 8 and tried to make sense of it, and they couldn't. Unlike Consumer Reports, which seems to understand everything, or maybe Consumer Reports is in another planet. I was reading, by the way, Jacob, one story that comes from a commentator at CNET, and his headline, he's got you in the headline there, so you're <laughs> becoming famous now, I'm afraid. You know, Or whatever it is, he says, why Jacob Nielsen's Windows 8 critique is old-school thinking. Now, do I take it from the headline he's saying, well, you don't like Windows 8 because you think Microsoft shouldn't change? Well, yeah, I don't think that. I think that they should change from time to time. And an example of where they did it right, in my opinion, was when they introduced Office 2007. Because the problem with Office, Microsoft Office was that for about a 20-year period, they had accrued more and more and more features. And the interface was, user interface was really a complete mismatch and, and you couldn't find anything. It was scattered all over a million different dialog boxes. And user testing clearly showed this, that people just couldn't find the features and most people used just a tiny corner of the power of this very you know, elaborate piece of software. 
And so by 2007, it had just really broken down. And I'd actually written some articles back more in like 2003 and 2004 saying it's time for you guys to really change. And um, finally, they did in 2007. And, and I was a big fan of that. Even then, though, a lot of reviewers pointed out, man, it's a new interface. People have to be retrained. It's going to be, you know, horror and, and aggravation, which it was. <laughs> But in that case, it was worth it because you took something that was really a mess and you gave people a different way of using Microsoft Office that was much more structured, much more revealing of what you could do with the power. So this kind of notion of power at your fingertips was actually there. And as a result, we now see a few years later that when people use Office, they use many more of these kind of more advanced features like styles and ways of doing um, tables in Excel and so forth. So they do. They don't do all of the features because again, it is just has much too many features. But you're talking here about the ribbon, the and the ribbon, ribbon is like a context-sensitive toolbar where you see the functions clearly labeled in icons when you access a certain function. So I'm using Word, for example. One of the functions is track changes, which is something that publishers and editors want because you can monitor the progress of a document. And my son and I are writing the third novel in a science fiction series, and so we have to use track changes. Now, with Word 2011 for the Mac, as with the Windows version, there is a ribbon toolbar that changes as you go to different functions. Now, I'm not nuts about the ribbon either, because sometimes I think the artwork is not well implemented. But the idea, I understand, it makes sense at least, you know, there's the icon, it's always there, it's not hidden, you don't have to look for the secret hot spot or the wacky handshake, it's there, it's obvious. Now, Microsoft did that, which is something that, for something like Word, which was very confusing, or Excel, or PowerPoint, it made the product somewhat easier to use. We understand that, and Windows 7 took that concept further. But now, they throw it all away. And, and that's, that's exactly the difference. I'm not saying make no changes, because from time to time, we have to make quite dramatic changes when an old style breaks down. What I don't like is when you make a change for the worse, when you make a change that makes features less easy to discover. What they did in Office, it was a change and people did have to be retrained and it was aggravation, but it was worth it. It was worth it in the long run. Now, that week where you got it, you would tear your hair out, but then the next week, you would now be able to use it better. On the other hand, with Windows 8, you're going to have several weeks of people being retrained and being confused. And for what good? For no good. They're not going to be more productive or do things better afterwards. So this is a change, I think, for the worse. And that's when you go back to talking about ROI or enterprise use. That's what you don't want if you're a CIO. If you're in charge of an IT department... I think you would you should not you should not install Windows 8 in your company because you're only going to get you're going to get endless help desk calls that's the, the the investment but what is the return the return is not there so there's no real benefit but there's going to be a big cost so that's that's the problem now of course in that situation there a corporate executive chief information officer is going to look at the numbers going to go to the accountant and say okay how much is it going to cost me to train people to use Windows 8 oh Okay, forget about it. And that's it. No matter how many years Microsoft waits, they will never get the enterprise to adopt Windows 8. So you have to look at this and say, okay, Windows 9, what does Microsoft do for Windows 9? Do they bring back the start menu? Do they go back and try to make the touch areas predictable? Do they throw the whole thing away and emphasize a new desktop interface and forget that nonsense? 
I think what they should do is they should abandon this notion of it's the same on tablets and PCs. That's the first decision to make. Then, this, then there are two additional things to do. For the tablet, you know, fix some of the smaller problems that are on the tablets. This is not, I think, a big redesign. It's more like making it smooth and easy and pleasant. And that's the type of thing we really know how to do. I'm convinced that they can do that, no problem. For the PC, it's a bigger issue. So there's really either they can go you know, revert back to their traditional design or they can try to save the new design. But that's not a small fix. That's really a reconceptualization. So that requires you know, a lot more research, a lot more work. I think that can be done as well. And I think one of the good things about Microsoft is that they have this tradition of not abandoning things. I mean, sometimes when something is a miserable failure, they will abandon it. But if it's something that's kind of worth saving, they'll keep investing in it. And like by version 3, they usually get it kind of more right. So I think there's, there's hope that they will get this right as well. But they do have to do a lot of work on it. Right, but you have to wonder here, Jacob, whether... Microsoft is prepared to watch the market move away from them because I looked at the survey that was in USA Today recently from Avast, which is a company that makes security software, and the survey pointed out that of the people who had PCs eligible to be upgraded to Windows 8, some 16% of them planned to upgrade their PCs. Of those, 30% were going to buy an iPad and 12% were going to buy new Macs. That's the worst yeah, news of all. It is, and it, it's, a, it's a huge strategic risk because if, if, from a user perspective, right, if you're told you have to change everything, you have to retrain, understand as something completely new anyway. So now becomes the question, should I stay with Microsoft and have to do everything over again, or should I move to a Mac and have to do you know, a lot of things over again also? Yeah, but I'm but, moving to a Mac from a standard Windows 7. Exactly. It's, actually it's not a big jump. It's no. a rather minor jump. It's something that, you know, if you know your computers, there are a few minor things you could look up, in a day you figure it out. It's not a big deal. It's not That's a major actually, training operation. It's not like Windows 8, which is a sea change. That's actually very true. It's actually a smaller change now, which is the scary part for Microsoft. You have to think, because in some ways, of course, we'd see Windows and the Mac, in some ways, they'd get more and more similar. And in other ways, of course, Apple's moving more towards adding elements from the iOS into Mac OS X. But even then, for the most part, it's just adding apps or changing names. Most of the basic interface things are the same. In they other are. words, it's still a Mac. A Mac is still a Mac. An iPad is still an iPad. An iPhone is still an iPhone. You're not mixing everything in this mishmash soup. No, they're trying to optimize for each platform, which has its own characteristics. And they have some things that are, are cross-platform, which you do want. You want icons to look the same so that when you know how one looks, you can recognize the other one and all of that. But, but basically, they are different platforms, and they have different requirements, including, I would say, the most important one is the multi-window support for, for a desktop computer. And, uh, yeah, I think Apple has understood that. Uh, I think Microsoft has just, for some reason, gotten it completely wrong. I'm sorry. Well, maybe the departure of Sanofsky means they're going to try to change everything and try to rescue this train wreck. But as I said, the market's not going to wait for them. We have Apple and Google moving forward real fast. Mac sales will be at least decent in an area where PC sales are going down. So right now, Microsoft's Windows 8 can't drive superior PC sales. That's very clear. So what does Microsoft do for a second act? And we have about a minute left, so I'm asking you for a rush answer. Okay. They have to get with the act and get Windows 9 out faster than they maybe thought they would. 
and get back to doing great great PC operating system again. I think they can also they live they, the tablets can actually go well as well. They have I think a good future in tablets as well. They only make makes minor changes. Even though eight point one, I'm sure will be fine as well for tablets. Although right now we're not hearing of great sales of the Surface, but new we'll have to see what happens. Tell our listeners, Jacob Nielsen, where they can find more of your material. Well, the, the recent study was published on my website, usit.com. I also have a new book out that's called Mobile Usability that doesn't, doesn't talk about this very latest one from this week, but it talks more about the general issues about designing for tablets and, uh, and phones. Lots of fascinating stuff there, which means we're going to want to ask Jacob Nielsen back. Thank you so much for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Welcome. Thank you, Tim. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. You know what happens to your digestive health around the holidays? Right. Unusual schedules and foods you don't normally eat can cause upset stomach and indigestion. But you can prepare your digestive tract with Pro-EM-1 Probiotic Cleanse from Terragonics.com. Pro-EM-1 is all natural and made with certified organic ingredients. It contains no genetically modified ingredients or preservatives and has no animal products, wheat, soy, dairy, or gluten. Pro-EM-1 does not require refrigeration, so you can take it with you over the river and through the woods to grandma's house. Pro-EM-1 supports a healthy, regular digestive system, supports weight loss, and improves absorption of food nutrients. Improve your digestion and keep off those extra pounds with Pro-EM-1 Probiotic Cleanse. Call or click Terragonics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com. Toll free, 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Terraganics, life's getting better. Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Now, one of the topics that is really getting a lot of attention here is Jacob Nielsen's survey with 12 experienced PC users of Windows 8 and the results. Now, of course, those who have been following us so far this show know that we spent a full large segment talking about that survey with Jacob Nielsen. And he's a very personable guy, very knowledgeable about user interface issues. And as you might have mentioned before, he's a Windows user. He likes Windows 7. 
He started using Windows in 1998, switching from the Mac because not because he didn't like the Mac, but because he felt that at that time Apple was in a lot of trouble. He didn't want to start a new business and find himself with an orphaned platform. And we understand that. A lot of people switched from the Mac in those years. Of course, Apple has held on. But we understand here, and we also understand, I agree that Windows 7 is pretty decent. I mean, you go into Windows 7, everything seems to work okay. It's predictable. You can get your work done. If you're a Mac user going back and forth between OS X and Windows 7, it's not a great jump. You can go from one to the other without a big learning curve. Now, we've got Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine joining us this week. He's the online editorial director. And, of course, one of the articles that's discussed in one of the stories on Laptop Magazine is Jacob Nielsen's Windows 8 survey. Isn't that a pretty huge indictment against what Microsoft did? Yeah, I, when I saw Nielsen's article, I kind of, people in the office were a little surprised because I jumped up and did a little dance, and everyone was like, what are you, what are you talking about? I said, wow, Nielsen finally documented officially what we've been talking about for like six months now in terms of the usability issues of Windows 8. He's gotten sort of the, the scientific proof, or at least just the fact that he's talking about it, because he is one of the premier authorities on usability that everybody knows. So he's really lended a lot of credence to something that, you know, a lot of us in the press and just people that we've shown Windows 8 to have been saying for a while. By any chance, have you seen the December 2012 issue of Consumer Reports? I have not yet seen it. I'm too cheap to buy it. <laughs> Go to the library. Or just subscribe for a dollar a month online or something. They're always sending us those offers. But actually, they did such a soft touch and dance around Windows 8, I couldn't believe it. They love the touch interface. It's great. It's effortless. It's very intuitive. What planet are they living on? I think it really depends on the perspective that you're coming at it from. So if you're coming at it from the perspective that you're using a tablet and you're not really kind of delving very deeply into the operating system, like trying to figure out what you do with it, then you might say, wow, the tiles are pretty. We like the way it swipes. It's very attractive. There's a lot of potential in Windows 8, and we'd love to see it be fulfilled, but if you look at it at the moment, a lot of the things that Nielsen describes are just, just staring you in the face. First of all, if you're a PC user, I mean, if you're not using this on a dedicated slate, if you're trying to use it with a, with a keyboard and a mouse, eh, you know, it's, it's a lot of things he describes, the hidden, the hidden menus, the fact that you're, um, you know, that you have to sort of switch context uh, every time you want to do something is really um, jarring is the wrong word. You know, people said for a while that the fact that when you're in Windows 8, I think the biggest issue, I mean, there are many issues that that he talks about, but in Windows 8, your, const- your short-term memory is constantly being taxed. And he said that in his study, and I've been thinking that for a long time. There you are on your Windows desktop, You want to launch Microsoft Word or some other productivity app, but the shortcut to it isn't there. Unless you've been smart and maybe put the shortcut on your desktop, which is a a smart move. But invariably, you won't have a shortcut for every app you ever want to use already put on the desktop unless you've really organized. So you end up back on on the start screen, 
and then and then you have to okay i want to open excel oh i have to find the tile on the smart screen and click that to end up back on the desktop again so you're constantly being asked to sort of switch back and forth between uis and when you switch from the desktop UI, so this is assuming that you want to use the the desktop, which if you're a PC user, you want Windows next to each other, you want to be able to see all your work, you kind of lose the train of your thought as you're asked to sort of switch context. And what he said that was also really true and something I hadn't really put into, uh, had thought about but hadn't really put into, into words is, the fact that you have a low information density in Windows 8. So you you open an app in Windows 8, and first of all, it's basically meant for unitasking because you, you can't, except for the little dock feature, which isn't real multitasking, you have just one big app running on the window, running on the screen. And then if you were to actually try to use the Windows 8 interface as opposed to the desktop interface, which is what Microsoft would like you to do. They've almost sort of included the traditional desktop as a, like as a, you know, okay, you can still have it as a legacy vestigial organ. Well, this is certainly the problem with those legacy apps where suddenly you have to go back to the desktop. So I guess in some sense, you're losing the charm of having all that great eye candy. But it seems curious here that Microsoft can't even eat their own dog food. I mean, the version of Office they came out with 2013, it's a desktop app. Correct. But if you, um, I bet Nielsen said this to you, um, the the fact is, even if they ate their own dog food, it would not be a good productivity experience. So there's, I think what you bring up is very true and he didn't really even get into this in his official report, and I actually sent him a note about this, you can't live in um, the Windows 8 or what was called the Metro UI all the time, even if you want to, because Microsoft is constantly uh, forcing you to go into the desktop to do things because they hadn't been bothered yet to create a file explorer, for example. So if, you want to co- if you're on a tablet and you want to copy a file from one location to another, a very common uh, situation, you have to then go back into the touch-unfriendly interface of the desktop to do it. If you want to go into the control panel and change a setting, got to go back into the desktop to do it. And then, of course, Office, one of the most popular apps, one of the apps that everybody wants, and by the way, in Windows RT, uh, the version of Windows 8 for ARM devices like the Surface, they come with Office also on the desktop, and you can't and you can't load it in the Windows 8 UI. But guess what? Even if you could, you would be hit with the with the problems that Nielsen talks about, which is you can't look at things side by side. You have a low information density, and the menus are hidden uh, because the idea of Windows 8 is let's just show you content beautiful, good-looking content without uh, much thought about how are you going to use this, how are you going to be productive. And it's, it's, it's a cognitive burden on your – you've got to sort of remember where things are all the time, remember what you were working on. Oh, I remember what I saw on that web page, so I can get, now go write about it in the Word doc because they're not in the same screen. You know, now, there is – or was a CBS TV show, I think it'll be back this summer, called Unforgettable. This is the show where the protagonist plays someone with what we call an eidetic memory. She can memorize everything she sees 
and then recall it later. The actress is Poppy Montgomery from the TV series Without a Trace. Remember her? Mm. Okay. Now, I guess Microsoft must be so filled with that concept because you have to have an eidetic or perfect memory to do all this crazy stuff, to be able to keep track of two dissimilar operating system interfaces, trying to deal with unintuitive touch processes and swiping and everything. And I was reading the section of the survey that Jacob Nielsen did where he describes the way you swipe to get certain functions. And you go one direction, you go another direction, and it has to be precise. And if you miss anything about the way you're doing the swipe process, none of it works. There's no error message. There's nothing. And if you look in contrast, like you could argue about interface issues with Android or the iOS, but for most people, they figure it out pretty quickly. You don't have all these little gotchas that are lurking in hidden recesses of the OS. It's pretty crazy. We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. one 804 my tv The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. So, disable the cable and get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call one 804 my tv right now to sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and up to four rooms. And there's no equipment to buy. That includes your free HDTV upgrade, your free DVR upgrade, and your free professional installation. And the best part, the pristine digital picture and sound. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. So, what are you waiting for? Pull out your major credit or debit card. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. 1-877-804-MY-TV. Disable the cable, cut costs, and get more. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. 1-877-804-MY-TV. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also print catalogs. Convert from so many formats I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. If you're considering a water filter, have you heard about Aquapail? Aquapail from FreezeDryGuy.com has huge advantages over many other water filters. American-made Aquapail units are designed and engineered to not just filter contaminated water, but capture or kill all bacteria and viruses to non-detectable levels. Aquapail has the fastest flow rate of any other water filter on the market, filtering a gallon of contaminated water in about five minutes. That's water when you need it. Now, get the world's fastest, safest, and most 
most reliable gravity-fed portable water treatment system for surface, well, and wastewater sources. Aquapel. Available in four sizes starting at only $100. In all orders to the lower 48, ship free. Call 866-404-3663 or go to freezedryguy.com. That's 866-404-3663 or freezedryguy.com. 100% veteran-owned. The Freeze Dry Guy. Utopia Silver understands that mainstream medicine and the rising cost of health care can financially destroy any family. We simply cannot afford to get sick. The only option is to stay healthy. Americans are learning that ill health is not caused by a deficiency of drugs. It's usually the result of a deficiency of minerals, vitamins, proper nutrition, and exercise. UtopiaSilver.com offers colloidal silver and healing protocols for vaccine and radiation poisoning, arthritis, insomnia, and more. If you're sick of unconstitutional government mandates, then stand up now and say no. The time is growing short to put this evil genie back in its bottle. Join Utopia Silver in promoting good health and fighting for our God-given health care rights. Visit utopiasilver.com, U-T-O-P-I-A-Silver.com, or call 888-213-4338. That's 888-213-4338. We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes. We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. And we're doing, I guess, a kind of a follow-up to the discussion we had with Jacob Nielsen about his usability study involving 12 experienced PC users who played with Windows 8 and found it wanting, unlike Consumer Reports Magazine, which finds nothing wrong with it. And I still wonder here, and I know, Avram, you didn't read the article, but how can Consumer Reports not see all this? Isn't Consumer Reports the magazine that's supposed to catch everything? If a car is potentially unsafe, they flag it. If a car has jiggly handling, they flag it. But if an operating system for the platform the majority of PCs are using isn't working right, they don't understand that? Yeah. I, I, you know, I've read some of Consumer Reports' other coverage, and it seems to me that when it comes to... PCs, they their perspective is very. I mean, they don't. What I what from what I've read of them, it's just very. They don't seem to take a real you know technology. They take a different approach, and maybe for their readers that's okay. But then again, actually, I would I would comment and say their readers are the ones who need this kind of protection the most. It's because, too superficial because. If you the see, there's an interesting argument that's that's been going on between Microsoft and the press, and between people who are sort of pro Microsoft in the press. And you know, look, I'm pro Microsoft too in that I I like Win, like Nielsen, I like Windows, I use Windows, uh, I defend uh, Microsoft's platforms. They're held to a lot of people who are very pro Apple. So you know, just so I I think I have some bona fides here. The issue is. A lot of people feel, um, and this is certainly Microsoft's official position, that you'll like Windows 8 if you just get used to it. Uh, and take the medicine, you'll get used to it, and you'll like it. 
And so they're looking at it from the perspective of, of okay, if I do this and I scroll through the, through the tiles and I do all this stuff, uh, is it pretty? You know, is it? You know, look at look at how attractive it looks. But what they're not doing a lot of is going in and, and sort of doing the work of productivity. At the same time, some people that I have a great deal of respect for, uh, such as Ed Bott, who is a really famous Windows journalist, really feel that Windows 8 is uh, is good for productivity if you know how to use the docs. And, of course, the performance level is better. I mean... You can tell that boots faster, the file copy stuff is better. There's a lot of nice, subtle improvements in the desktop mode and in sort of the core performance of the operating system. But they feel that, look, if you just spend some time getting used to it, you learn how all those kind of tricks of the trade, some of the things that Nielsen talked about will be less important to you because you'll you'll know it. And some of the criticisms I've seen of Nielsen's study are, well, okay, but these people were just introduced to Windows 8, give them a few weeks, and, and they'll be fine. And that's what I think the perspective is of Consumer Reports and some other places, is, uh, listen, you know, these are growing pains for the user, and they'll, and they'll get over it. Right, but if the operating system is not designed for discoverability... That kind of defeats the purpose. I th- one of the reasons that Microsoft cited for the ribbon toolbar is to make, say, Office, which is a very complicated suite of applications with loads and loads of features, more discoverable. Everything is front and center. You access a specific function, such as editing or track changes in Word, and you see the context-sensitive toolbar functions. You see the icons. You see all the features front and center, not buried deep in dialog boxes. So that's discoverability. But now you go to the reverse of it. You say, okay, here's a new operating system. And if you want to do basically simple stuff, and this applies, I think, to Windows Phone, and why I think people sometimes will take a look at Windows Phones. They say it's pretty in everything, and I can see my news updates and my Twitter updates and my Facebook updates. But then you want to install 10, 20, 30 apps on it. It's really made towards the casual, quick browsing. But you can't do that on a PC operating system where people have to get real work done. I mean, for example, take a look at the commercials of Windows 8. They're showing consumers doing just casual things on it. That's not real production. Right. And that's, you know, I was watching a commercial for it last night. It just kept coming on and coming on, which was one... Uh, that you've probably seen where there's a l- little girl and she's got like this giant uh, tablet, which I think is probably a Sony Vio Tap 20, which is a huge, uh, a huge 20-inch uh, tablet slash all-in-one. Well, that's kind of a clunky sort of tablet, but that's my opinion. She just keeps, um, you know, she uses a, like an easel, puts on an easel and starts painting something and then prints it out. And then, you know, she gets a Skype call from someone and talks to them. And the commercial said, you know, powered by wonderful apps. Well, first of all, they only showed two apps, one of which is Skype that's made by Microsoft, and the other of which is, uh, you know, a neat freeware paint app uh, that has been around for a while. But you're right. They didn't show anything else. They didn't show any games. They didn't show any, you know, high-end productivity apps. You know, a few weeks into Windows 8 having been launched now, we're starting to see a few more apps come out. But ultimately, when you try to use something, like when you try to use a text editor, 
in this interface, it just doesn't feel right because, okay, you've got to do it on the full screen and the menus have to be hidden. That's part of the, that's part of the Microsoft uh, sort of design ethos is that you should have, you should have as little navigation blocking your way as possible. It's sort of like uh, the philosophy behind a lot of modern web browsers, only they're applying it to the whole operating system. So, you know, Google Chrome became a big deal when it first came out because they didn't have as many toolbars and, and other junk blocking your way as Internet Explorer did. Then subsequent versions of Internet Explorer kind of, you know, learn from that concept, and they've gotten rid of a lot of that stuff too. Well, you know what? When you're in a web browser and you don't have a lot of necessary features, I and mean, what do you need in a web browser? The address bar back and forward, maybe not even forward. Um, you know, it's fine. You don't need a lot of of, nav- of navigation stuff. But when you're on the desktop, when you're on the desktop doing things, when you're using your computer. Yeah, you do need you do need those buttons, and yes, there will be power users who learn all the keyboard shortcuts. But most people don't do that. There's only so much of that that you can that you can do, and then just the fact that you can't really put Windows next to each other. I mean, you can't put work next to each other in the Windows 8 UI is an issue. Now, if you said this to Microsoft, they would say. Hey, look! Don't indict us. We we still gave you the desktop. Just go use the desktop. Yeah, but that's an excuse. I mean, the main feature, the stock and trade of Windows 8, is the modern UI. So, what excuse can they give you to say, well, if you don't like it, use the desktop? Well, why even supply the overlay? Forget about that. Why not optimize, update to Windows 7 with all the performance improvements, and forget about modern UI and all the eye candy, and let's get back to serious business. Isn't that what Windows is all about? We've got Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web app such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. Hey, neighbors. Meetings are an essential part of any business. You know, making presentations to clients, collaborating with your colleagues. Well, make them as simple as possible to run and organize. Use GoToMeeting by Citrix, the easiest, most reliable online meeting service. With GoToMeeting, you can schedule an online meeting in seconds. Attendees can join with just a click from anywhere. Meeting materials are viewed on everyone's screen. Making collaboration seamless. GoToMeeting is so 
We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231 and the Berkey guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey light, the Berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653 or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. Do you owe the IRS money that you can't pay? Are tax liens and levies ruining your life? Are you tired of being afraid just to go to the mailbox? If this describes you, then Dan Pilla can help. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla, and I've been solving tax problems for more than 30 years. In fact, I wrote the book that made it possible to negotiate settlements with the IRS, and I've helped thousands of people do exactly that. Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you. You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. New changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever before eliminate their debts once and for all. There's no need for you to suffer another day with IRS debt. Call 800-346-6829. I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com. Hello? Congratulations. For what? We're losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP as slim as possible. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine joins us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl live. And we are focusing on Windows 8 and the various and sundry problems. One of the issues I mentioned, for example, is consider my workflow right now as we do this recording. And I mentioned this to Jacob before. There are right now six windows open to enable the recording process, communicating with Avram by Skype, and each particular file that we've created for the show is open in a separate window. i got to have those six or seven windows open all the time. 
when I'm doing any kind of writing and research, I may have browser windows open. I may have my Word or Apple Pages document open. I'm going back to my email. You can't do this with Windows 8. I understand that certain apps and maybe even point-of-sale apps work well with that because it's just one window, one user interface. That's fine. Apple has a full-screen apps feature with Lion and Mountain Lion where you click a button and it opens everything to the full screen. So you can concentrate on that and nothing else. As an option, that makes perfect sense. How does it make sense for doing it the Windows 8 way all the time? I, You know, I, I just don't think it does make sense. I, I guess on a tablet... There's this thought that, okay, look, you're not going to multitask on a tablet, although I don't necessarily agree with that belief, that people are going to use it uh, for content consumption. They're going to sit there and look at one big pretty thing, whether the big pretty thing is a game or a movie or a web page. They're just going to do that, uh, and they're not going to sort of have all these windows open. And, And if you're using just your finger... And if you've tried to use just your finger with the winner's interface, it, it's a difficult experience because sort of trying to drag around the little window bars and tap on the little X button to close it and all of that stuff is is really a pain uh, and, and difficult to do accurately with the finger, which is why Microsoft came out with Windows 8 because the criticism of Windows 7 was you can't use it with touch not because it doesn't support touch gestures, but because everything is so small and you need a big finger-friendly operating system. So instead of Microsoft um, just coming out with a finger-friendly operating system for tablets, they decided, listen, we're going to have one operating system to rule them all. But the problem is that they've kind of taken the criticism a little bit they should have taken it to heart but they've taken the wrong approach it's as if somebody went to mcdonald's the mcdonald's company said listen mcdonald's we know you've been doing a a steady business and hamburgers for all these years but you know it's it's 2012 already and the and people are becoming more health conscious we've got a lot of vegetarians we think that you you've been you've been falling behind in the veggie burger business you need to do better in, in veggie burgers or you're going to become irrelevant. Veggie burgers are the future. And, my, and McDonald's reaction to this was not to start to come up with a wonderful veggie burger and put it on their menu and promote it, but instead to take all their hamburgers and put one patty of veggie burger above the patty of meat and serve it to all of their customers, vegetarians and meat eaters alike. Microsoft is instilled in the vision of Windows Everywhere. From a marketing standpoint, strictly from a marketing standpoint, you can still call it Windows regardless of how the things look. In a sense here, I guess Microsoft created a user interface that nobody asked for. And I guess I still believe, really in my heart, that Steve Sanofsky is no longer at Microsoft, not because he was hard to get along with after 23 years on the job, not because he needed to get out of the rat race, but they know that they have a train wreck on their hands. It's obvious. It's clear. You know, I met, I've met Sanofsky uh, a couple of times, and he seemed very nice. He seemed like a nice guy to me. 
Uh, on the other hand, what I've heard, what I've read actually at, you know, in certain columns like Mary Jo Foley's column on ZDNet is that other people at Microsoft had an issue, had issues with him. Uh, what I will say is he was a very staunch defender of, uh, and actually everyone that I've talked to at Microsoft this past, say, six months or a year leading up to the launch of Windows 8 has been a very staunch defender of the dual, dual UI. And, you know, I've talked to some people there who are, you know, really on the front line product managers. And uh, if they didn't believe in this, they certainly did a good job of, of faking it because nobody had any question about it. And But some of the explanations for these things have been a little bit uh, illogical to me that I've gotten from Microsoft and that we've even seen Sanofsky say. Uh, and so it makes me wonder whether, uh, makes me doubt that he was let go because Microsoft doesn't believe in the product. I, it would be, it makes for an interesting story, but I have to believe that Microsoft still believes in, in the product and still believes in the decisions that they made. Uh, and if they don't, I don't think that it was reflected by getting rid of Sanofsky because the person they replaced him with Julie Larson green was also a big proponent of the system. And I, I'm not sure that this dual UI is completely the responsibility of Sinovsky. I feel like something came down to him, perhaps even from a higher level, to say, look, we need to have one operating system to rule them all, and we're going to move people into into the... We're going to move our operating system into the touch uh, era, uh, no matter what. Um, so I don't know whether... It's whether it's him, and after all, the timing coming just two weeks after the launch of Windows 8, it just seems like they don't have enough time to have made the decision that they're not doing well. And they've had plenty of time to get feedback from customers. Yes, but the feedback from customers had to tell them there's a problem waiting. The thing I wonder about also with the RT version of Windows 8, you know, it's basically just a port for the Surface version. And I think sometimes a very clumsy port. The Surface still has the modern UI, and you can still tap beneath it to see a desktop interface on a tablet, an ARM-based tablet. That, to me, makes as much sense as putting a touch-based interface on a desktop. Yeah, I mean, when I say Sanofsky said some strange things, here's the example. A couple months ago, I was out in... I was out in Redmond uh, at a press briefing about the Surface where we got to spend a day touring the labs and talking to people about what their decision-making process was behind the Surface. Finally, at the end of the day, we got to do Q&A, and people asked Sanofsky about why Windows RT looks identical to Windows 8 and why you, know, you can't tell the difference. And isn't that a problem because users are going to be confused when they pick up a Surface and they think that they can run their desktop apps on it and they get a rude awakening when they download an .exe file and try and launch it and it says this cannot run on your computer. It doesn't even say this cannot run on your computer because it has Windows RT. It just says this app cannot run on your computer, which is a little cryptic because it might just mean that it's that app, not any app. He said... He said he was extremely defensive, and he said, look, 
I don't see that this is going to be some kind of a big problem. People know what they're buying. People don't walk into an Apple store, look at an iPad, and, and ask whether it's going to run Quicken for Mac. People know that this is an iPad competitor. They don't assume that it's going to run all of their apps. It's just you guys in the press. He didn't say exactly just you guys in the press. But he, he kind of poo-pooed the whole idea that people would be confused by, window, by Windows RT looking exactly like Windows 8. I have just come up with kind of an interesting conspiracy theory here about Sanofsky's departure. Okay, he wasn't let go for the failure of Windows 8 or because he's hard to deal with. And I'll leave this and we'll go into other subjects in the next section. And that is he left because he was given the edict from upon high, Steve Ballmer, saying, make them all the same. We want the same with all the platforms. We want Windows everywhere. This is the way it is. Being a good soldier, he did it, and then said, I've had enough of this, I'm out of the rat race, I'm gone. That's another conspiracy theory just made up on the spot. We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Hey, neighbors, you've seen all those crazy, wacky products on TV. The perfect tortilla, easy covers, hot booties, furniture fix, petty spin, and more. Where do you find all that stuff? You go to AsSeenOnTV.com because this is the one-stop source for all of these TV goods advertised. Find all your favorites as seen on TV. Check them out as seenontv.com. And by the way, save 10%. Here's what you do. Use the code SEEN1, S-E-E-N number one, SEEN1. Go to asseenontv.com to order. Save 10%. Purchase this summer's hottest As Seen on TV items. Save 10%. Or call 1-866-277-3366. one 277 The code Scene one to save 10%. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. one 804 my tv The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. So, disable the cable and get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV right now to sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and up to four rooms. And there's no equipment to buy. That includes your free HDTV upgrade, your free DVR upgrade, and your free professional installation. And the best part, the pristine digital picture and sound. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. So, what are you waiting for? Pull out your major credit or debit card. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. 1-877-804-MY-TV. Disable the cable, cut costs, and get more. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. 1-877-804-MY-TV. Lunch is ready. And it's an MRE smorgasbord at longlifefood.com. In 1983, Long Life Food Depot was one of the first to sell MRE pouches to the public. And we're still selling them almost 30 years later. Today, Long Life Food Depot has the world's most complete MRE online buffet. Because MREs are all we do. Tasty varieties of chicken, beef, salmon, and pasta entrees. Plus sandwiches and our easy-to-use pouches. Full moisture, long shelf life, and ready-to-eat hot or cold. We sell by the pouch or case 
place, so the choices are endless, and so are the graduated quantity discounts. The more you buy, the more you save. Call 800-601-2833 or go to longlifefood.com to join our email list for upcoming announcements like the Rollaway Food Pod. Plus, enjoy fast and free shipping. Just call 800-601-2833 or visit longlifefood.com. Emergency preparedness, emergency relief. Longlifefood.com since 1983. Sending real food to your real future. Many Americans suffer from digestive problems, often totally unaware they're not absorbing essential nutrients from foods and supplements. Dr. Peter Glidden is aware of the importance of healing a damaged digestive system. Now, the product that I'm going to talk about today, Mackey Plus, and it is a combination of a superfruit, the Mackey Berry, and aloe vera juice. Now, aloe vera is a very interesting nutritional supplement to talk about because aloe vera, you know, it's the stuff that you put on your skin if you get a burn. And man, it really knocks down the pain, the inflammation of the burn and facilitates healing. Well, guess what? It does the same thing internally that it does externally to burns. To soothe and heal your digestive system, order Mackey Plus today by calling 855-347-3696. That's 855-347-3696 or on the web at fireyourmdnow.com. That's fireyourmdnow.com. What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know. We have Abram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Isle Live. We're talking about train wrecks being Windows 8, what might have happened. So now you have maybe the fourth conclusion or fourth theory about Steve Sanofsky's departure, that he got disgusted with it. He was a good soldier. He shepherded Windows 8 in the surface. They're out. I'm out of here. What do you think? What about that theory? I don't think so. I think that ultimately what happened was this was purely about him getting along with other with other departments within Microsoft and also perhaps somebody just said to him, look, we really like you, but we don't think you're going to replace Bomber as a CEO. And maybe that was maybe that was the issue. I think if he had a real problem there and if what they saw as a real problem was perhaps his inability, from what I've read, to communicate well with other divisions of Microsoft. And I think you see that reflected in the Microsoft Office situation. Microsoft was responsible for the version of Office put on Windows RT, and it just looks like it was just like ported over there without any without any thought being put into the user interface. So Office 2013 has what's called a touch mode, right. but it comes disabled by default on your on your surface. And the touch mode isn't even that touch-friendly. It just makes the ribbon icon like a microscopic bit larger for your finger. It's not a real uh, redesign of the interface. It's like they threw one little interface change to make it, all right, it's a little touch-friendly, folks. That's all we're going to do. So I think the bigger problem that I don't know whether this is his fault or not that he may be blamed for is that, Office is a different business than Windows, and I think ultimately this is Bomber's responsibility, but I don't think the divisions are talking to each other enough, and maybe that is what's behind this. Okay, very briefly here. How does 
Microsoft fix it with Windows 9, or do they come up with a Windows 8.5 and say, here's an enhancement, and it's got the start menu, and it's got more of the desktop features, and easier way to just live in the desktop and never use the modern UI if you don't want to get bothered with it? There's such a simple fix for them if they wanted to do it. All they need to do is give users a choice. I don't think they need to come out with different versions of the operating system. I think their vision of a unified platform is wonderful. This is such a simple thing. Come out with an update that allows people to set for themselves desktop mode or touch mode and allow them to run any kind of app they want in either mode. There's no reason why you cannot run a Metro app. You should not be able to run a Metro app in a window. There's no explanation for why you shouldn't be able to do that. So they don't have to kill all of those new apps, which so far have been really unimpressive. But if you want them, there's no reason you couldn't take their little finance app and have it just run in a window with a box around it. And you shouldn't have to download a third-party utility to restore the start menu. This is something, as a matter of fact, that Consumer Reports mentioned in their article, the third-party utility to provide something Microsoft should provide. Right. Give the user the choice, and then when OEMs build their computers, they can have a choice of which they want to enable. So if you're building something that's a tablet, so you turn on Metro mode, just put it in the settings, put it in the control panel. Which mode do I want? Or you could have a mixed mode, which is like what they have now. I mean, it's really quite simple. They could just do that, give people the choice, and then, you know, some for some platforms, they'll want the touch mode. And then besides giving people the choice, they need to actually make the touch mode more usable by making the menus, making the menus more persistent and by making sure that you don't have to go into the desktop to perform key functions like use Office or, or use the file explorer or set the control panel. If they could just do those those fundamental things, it would be okay. I think the problem is that they're trying to force their vision onto users, and that's something that they've actually never done before with Windows. Even with Windows 7, you could make it look like Windows XP if you wanted to. And we're at a point now where if Microsoft doesn't help improve PC sales, if PC sales are not going up, and possibly because of the perceived shortcomings of Windows 8, even though people can still use Windows 7 if they want it, Microsoft could lose a lot of money for themselves and for the PC industry for not making that decision. There was that a vast survey published in USA Today indicating that of the people who have PCs eligible to upgrade, 16% will upgrade, but 42% of those will go to some kind of Apple product, 30% iPads, 12% Macs. We'll have to see. Let's move on very quickly to another topic. Of course, we've had our Black Friday and our Cyber Monday Good deals for the holidays, very quickly. What's your take? So there are some things that are just the do's and don'ts here. Look, I know that you'll find notebooks that are $200 or under $300. Unless you're buying them for someone you dislike, Don't you want something in the PC space with at least a Core i3 processor. You don't want a Pentium. You don't want something like an AMD C60 processor. You want something decent, and that's probably going to cost you over 400 bucks. The key with notebook sales is is look for coupon codes that will bring down the price at sites like Dell and Lenovo.com and HP that allow you to configure your system, and then you can configure something. You can get a nice break off the price of a decent system and maybe get an $800 system for 600 or a $1,000 system for 700 
that's my advice in terms of getting a decent notebook. The other things to look for during this holiday season are you want to make sure you don't buy outdated products. Like a lot of the tablets and phones that are coming out are last year, coming at low prices or last year's tablet and phone. The industry is changing too fast for you to buy last year's phone and then hang on to it for two years. You're going to feel really bad about running Android 2.3 when you're in 2014 and everyone's running like Android 7 on their phone. So you want to try and buy new stuff, not old stuff when it comes to tablets and phones. And and finally, there are certain classes of products that you're going to find are a good deal this, uh, this holiday season. And they usually come in the form of accessories and peripherals. So when you look at big sales, there's always a lot of big sales on storage. SSDs have gotten incredibly cheap. On Black Friday, we saw a 128-gigabyte SSD going for $50. We saw 256-gigabyte SSDs going for $100. Uh, it's really at the point where it's very inexpensive to upgrade. So storage is a good bet, not just in terms of internal storage like SSDs, but external hard drives, flash drives, even um, memory cards for your camera. All are very good prices during the holiday season, as are other accessories like monitors, keyboards, mice, and printers. Those are the things that you're going to see the biggest price drops on are the accessories. And then when it comes to sort of the main, uh, you know, the large purchase items like notebooks, tablets, and phones, you want to make sure you don't get something that's too out of date or too underpowered because you will regret it later. Now, when it comes to SSDs, you mentioned that we have these budget price SSDs. Is that the first step for SSD becoming really, really affordable? I mean, okay, 256 gigabytes is fine. When can we get 512 gigabytes for maybe $250 so we don't go broke with it? I'm seeing that now. I'm seeing some that are... I'm seeing some that for the 512 are hovering between 250 and 300. Now those are the incredible sales. It's still getting to like 3 to 400 to get the 512s, but they are coming down. Uh, now, the $99 SSD I'm talking about is not the top of the line. It's an OCZ Agility, which is not a bad product, but certainly not one of the faster ones. Still a big upgrade over a hard drive. But I mean, generally, the sort of top brands of SSD, OCZ tends to be cheap and decent. Uh, you know, people who really want sort of the top name brands are looking for things a lot of times like Samsung or, or Intel. Of course, some of the other brands like Kingston are good and, and so are Corsair. Um, so there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of good brands out there for SSD. They, I think they're only going to get more affordable as the years go by what is really key to note is they're still very unaffordable when you buy them on a notebook. So you're better off upgrading. If you can. <laughs> okay. Tell our listeners where they can find more stuff from Avram Pilch. So you can f- see my weekly uh, columns at laptopmag.com slash geeksgeek. Follow me on Twitter at geekinchief or keep up with all of our news at laptopmag.com. Okay. You can find us on Twitter. We are Tech Night Owl. Also, you go to technightowl.com, our portal for all the things that we do. And we have that other radio show about UFOs and things that go bump in the night. And this week, we're going to honor the memory of my close friend, Jim Mosley, who was one of the wild, wacky, court jester-type characters in the UFO field at Paracast.com. That's Paracast.com. Here on the Tech Night Owl Live, thanks, Avram Pilch, for joining us on the show. Always a pleasure. The Tech Night Owl Live 
is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel.